I woke up this morning with the sundown shining in. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is working. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I normally discuss new movies weekly. However, every now and then we have these, like to have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something completely different. And this is something completely different. This is our commentary track. It's not too different. It's our commentary track. It's our commentary track for the month of March. Um, if you've been following along with our recent commentary tracks, you know there's been a theme. We have been talking about movies that 20 years ago were dominated uh, by Titanic as it continued making heavy waves at the box office. Uh, we've recently talked about... Uh, what do we talk about? We talked about Deep Rising and Dark City. And, uh, yeah, which are both... Uh, one is better than the other, but both were, you know, financial bombs. And now we are going to be talking about this month's uh, movie, The Big Lebowski, uh, the Coen Brothers uh, cult favorite. Um, modern classic, I guess. We'll talk. We'll see. We'll talk about this. We'll get into it. Uh, but yeah, that's the plan here. It's one of the many movies that once again came out in the winter, spring of 1998 that just could not surmount Titanic. But next month we will have, we will be doing a commentary on the film that, did manage to beat Titanic, but that's for next month. This month, we're talking Big Lebowski, and joining me to talk Big Lebowski, we have, from Why So Blue and the Cult Cinema Cavalcade podcast, he's like a child who's wandered into a movie. It's Brandon Peters. I'm pretty sure none of us are out of our element here tonight. From the Milky Way Blues, he's happy we decided to record today and not on Shomer Shabbos. It's Yancey Burns. Hey guys, happy to be here. And from the DC TV podcast and the Nothing's On podcast, among others, he's here to fix the cable. It's Jim Dietz. <laughs> I've got my white my white Russian and my jellies. I'm ready to go. All right. How are the three of you guys doing tonight? Uh, very good. excited. It's great. Good, good. Happy Excellent. To, happy to have you all here talking about the Big Lebowski, our first Cohen commentary. Oh. Right? And kind of kind of first comedy? Kind of first comedy, yeah. I, I have to look through the archives, see if we actually done anything that leans on comedy more than the Big Lebowski. I doubt it, though. This is probably our first like straight-up comedy. Like, we've probably done action comedies, if I had to guess, right? Uh, yeah, we didn't like lethal weapon. Well, that yeah, first lethal weapon lethal isn't weapon. like super hilarious, but yeah. Well, I mean, it, it opens with a big joke, and then it gets pretty serious right. from there. I mean, that's how we all remember lethal weapon. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no, yeah, this is probably our first out and out comedy. Although even then, it's this is still kind of a you know it's a neo noir and crime film and everything. But regardless, yes, we are doing a commentary. A, a com- we're doing a commentary, which is a comedy commentary. Uh, it's a new word. I just made that up. TM right there. I'm trademarking it. Uh, but you know, that is that is the plan for this episode. And I'll be very curious if we how we how we do it because we don't normally do commentaries for good reason. But I think with a Coen Brothers film, there's a lot to talk about. We can go into a lot of different subjects. I'm more or less hoping it just doesn't turn into the Chris Farley show where we just talk about how great everything is because there's a lot of <laughs> things I just certainly want to like watch and laugh at as opposed to talk about. But well, I'll make make do with what we got here. Uh, but anyway, for those that are not familiar with our commentary tracks, basically Brandon, Yancey, Jim, and I are going to be watching the movie on mute um, and talking over it, um, and you will listen. That's how it goes. We'll talk about anything we want to talk about regarding this movie generally. Um, if you're following along with us, if you're watching the movie and listening to this commentary track, good on you. <laughs> but um, we're, we have the movie currently paused at five seconds. So if you want to sync up with us, sync it up at five seconds. It's at the Universal logo. It's about to like shine and brightly and everything. Um, and then we're going to count down from three. And on the sound of go, we're all going to press play and start talking. If you're just listening on your iPod, 
good on you too. You can just enjoy. You have to do nothing at all except sit there and be like, yep, I'm ready to do this because we are ready to do this. And so, yeah, I'm going to start counting down, guys. Are you guys ready? Yep. Yep. All right. That was a lot of words. <laughs> so keep up. Um, but here we go. Three, two, one, go. All right. So who all saw this opening weekend? I did. I definitely I did, too. To I a did. completely empty theater. <laughs> There's like three was, other people in there. It was pretty sparse where I was, too. My roommate and I were huge Coen Brothers fans after uh, Blood Simples. We watched everything mm-hmm. they did. And I was we working were there. at Tower Records. Ooh, wow. I wonder, <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if anyone says I was a huge Coen Brothers fan after Crime Wave, and I just had to keep going every time. <laughs> it's like that, that the writing in that movie really shine to shine through so i was like i gotta follow these guys wherever they go and it's all been downhill that's what they also say whatever happened to those, those guys since crime wave yeah i don't yeah. think anyone says that <laughs> um maybe maybe john grease but <laughs> perhaps perhaps yeah so yeah i i did not see this film until vhs when it came out which i assume was fairly quickly since it bombed pretty hard and and just kind of went to went away um which is certainly you know kind i mean we can talk about it but it's kind of surprising this is the first film they did after fargo yeah and i mean it certainly doesn't follow too many conventions but i mean this is what they're what simple arizona is their sixth film at this point so i imagine i'd like to think coen brothers fans were pretty familiar with their style at this point but it's right certainly not a you know a marketable style to general audiences although this is maybe their most popular movie outside of Fargo and what no country Fargo no country um as far as oh like, brother oh brother oh was brother's pretty, pretty yeah, for a yeah, while. yeah oh, oh, oh brother's yeah. a bit yeah that's a big one too never mind yeah even raising Arizona I think has oh that, that seems to have amassed a lot of fans like beyond just like the quirky Cohen crowd like people talk yeah about no it. yeah raising raising Arizona is pretty big and uh Hudsucker Proxy was popular I, no one really talks about it anymore but uh, in the 90s it was that. a pretty popular movie it also flops yeah, <laughs> yeah. they they waver up and down every once in a while they get this super popular movie but a lot of theirs are mid-level or like go super indie sometimes yeah. I mean for one thing they don't you know amass great but like Hudsucker is like one of the outliers because it has a big budget comparatively to their other films but i mean they're not movies that are designed to be blowout successes i mean certainly there are some that are right um like until fargo they were considered to be like the best thing that ever happened kind of like jeff bridges like i don't think they had any kind of a hit until fargo right am i wrong fargo had critical successes of course but not any kind of a popular success until fargo and it's funny you're saying it's funny you mentioned the comedies, but I always think that the Coens tend to do better with critics and audiences when they go for like the crime, like Fargo. Or, well, they have a well they go men. back to. They got a very Hitchcock like um, structure kind of thing that they follow a lot of the times, too, with these like normal people and these bigger capers, which no country is probably the most serious of them. But like, you know, Raising Arizona follows some sort of pattern um, like Man Who Wasn't There. Burn after notice reading. The, notice, notice the date on the check. Yeah. <laughs> September 11th. Uh, <laughs> wow. 1991. Uh, somebody like told me that a few years ago, and that I've, I've never been able to unsee that after they mentioned that to me. I feel like these guys have like their A movies and their B movies, like intentionally. Like, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I feel like no, no Country is an A Cohen, and, and Fargo was an A Cohen, and this is definitely was a B Cohen in that. It's a little more indulgent. It doesn't like you know you can tell why it wasn't a hit because if you're following the story, it's 
it's kind of a shaggy dog, right? Especially after Fargo, which is a more or less just a straightforward movie if you're not really paying attention to the details, you know. I remember when this came out, everybody was pretty disappointed that it wasn't as good as Fargo. And that was the line on it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's obviously not the same. I mean, and they, they still do it. I feel like Burn After Reading and, and, and uh, Hail Caesar are more in the column with this one. Whereas, you know, <clears throat> Inside Lewin Davis is more in the, the, the sort of... Like a no serious man stuff. type yeah, they have character study man, they'll do. Yeah. They have a while... By the way, I recently... I was at the this, the award ceremony for the Los Angeles Online Film Critics Society, and I met Michael Stuhlbarg, and I completely wanted to talk to him about a serious man only. Like he's there for call, he's he's there for Call Me by Your Name and like Shape of Water, and I'm like I just want to tell you how much I love the serious man. <laughs> like, that, great that was, movie, such that's, a great movie. It really is. We'll, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about the filmography, but yeah, as far as what you're saying, as far as the kind of. I mean, the Coens are a great example of one for me, one for them type filmmakers because yeah. exactly. because both lines of thinking are consistently great for them. <laughs> like, there's not there's the, the ones right, but... the ones for them are not bad films for them. I mean, even in saying the most sure. part, it's only because I look down on two of their movies more than the rest of their filmography. Well, well, they, <laughs> they have an obvious back to back, like where you almost. They seem like they had this huge comeback because you almost forgot about them. Like the Intolerable Cruelty, Lady um, Killers, Killers back to back was a their their quote unquote rough patch. But I love, like, yeah. I love Lady but, Killers. <laughs> yeah, Lady Killers is a stronger movie I think that people give it credit for. Yeah, it is. I, I also I like the way they're also like. Oh, I'm sorry. I also like the way their movies often call back to other movies. Like this movie has so many parallels to The Big Sleep. Yeah, of yep. course. Yeah. Uh, not only in the title, but like the way it opens with the the character. Plus, I mean, Philip Marlowe was very much a character that was a product of like L.A. in the the post war in the late forties and early fifties. You know, disaffected, yeah. you know, jaded, everything like this. And the dude is very much a product of L.A. in this period of time, the late eighties, kind of like the burned out hippie. Um, you know, situations. So, I mean, there's so many. The Big Sleep is one of my favorite noirs. So, when I saw this, and it didn't hit me until like probably the second or third time I saw it, like how many parallels there really are and how it is kind of like that structure of story, re, you know, repositioned into an into a late 90s or late 80s, uh, you know, early 90s situation. Um, and, and Jim, especially yeah. the idea that the mystery is so impenetrable. And then having yeah. it from the point of view of a stoner in this is is the big sleep, you know, caving in on itself. It's it's, it's sort of mm-hmm. an obvious homage there. We'd be, right. we'd be remiss not to mention The Long Goodbye, which comes in between both of them and makes it right. like the perfect triple feature or a uh, or a, a turkey, if you want to call it. Um, as far as... Or, I mean, you can, you can kind of uh, add uh, inherent, you can kind of add inherent vice to this, that list now too. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. In fact, Inherent Vice is almost a remake of this. I think Pinchon even probably was inspired by this movie. I mean, how many... How many movies are there that are L.A.-based stories about, you know, befuddled uh, pothead detectives trying to... Well, it's this it's this fun kind of, like, surfer noir, I like to call it, where you have movies yeah. like this and that, and even Long Goodbye, despite the fact that it isn't really... Although they do go to the beach one time, and it's terrible. Always Los Angeles, but though. It is Los like, Angeles. It's Los Angeles, but it's, like, this kind of, like you guys are saying, like, disaffected, like, you know, stoner, laziness, like, kind of schlum type characters that, like, are so not connected to this yet they they certainly are even pulp fiction you could argue kind of fits in there in some degrees like there's just this kind of you used to see more of this you used to see more of this and it kind of makes me sad you would see more movies about characters who are not in the mainstream who are really fringy sort of characters brandon wrote about cheech and chong about uh, up in smoke today and i was mm-hmm. i was thinking about that and i like i like that movie a lot um and it, it reminds me of this movie a little bit i feel like they're two of the better pot related sort of marijuana based comedies but 
But like, it, it makes me sad that I feel like if this were, I mean, obviously the Coens would make it any way they wanted to, but most comedies tend to be more conservative these days. They follow the sort of, uh, what is that, uh, the big movie, the, 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 the huge hit, The Hangover, like where it's sort of, by the end, everything's okay and back to normal and everybody's happy and they're married and they have kids and it's nice. And like, this is really a movie about kind of these scumbags on the, on the outskirts of society, like Cheech and Chong, or like. And, and, you know, or like Inherent Vice, like Joaquin Phoenix and Inherent Vice. And I, I, I feel like we don't see that much, that sort of, these sort of sleazy sort of characters represented. I always appreciate it. Yeah. Sleazy is not the right word. But, you know, this guy is not, uh, this guy is not with the, the times at all, the dude. Yeah. And that's, he's so proudly not with the times. And that's not the kind of hero we often see, obviously. Well, it's like, I mean, you've always talked about like, cons- like conservative comedy. Like the, the thing I get sick of is like, is, is is, is is ones where you have like a high concept or something that's going and alongside it you have characters that are g- working out some kind of life problem and by the end of that movie whether it takes place in the span of a day or not somehow they've both completed a yes. very specific mission yes. as well as completed a kind of a, a new life releva- revelation as far exactly. as growing up to mm-hmm. be you know a better person or a new parent or something of that matter because like, they've read this they've read the screenwriting book which says you have to have your characters yeah. change even if it takes just over two hours they have to change mm-hmm. well, plus i mean this the characters not follow any save the cat guidelines at all well these characters already change the Vietnam changed these characters for good. They're, I mean, they're done changing. They're... Right, but plus, I mean, right, plus, the, movie, oh. the movie doesn't take place in long enough time for these characters to go through arcs. People don't arc in two, three days, you know? Like, yeah. But it's built in because they, they became, you know, obviously they became, after Tarantino, there was this major influx of screenwriters, and, and they all sort of were using these screenwriting guides, which told you more, to use those, them, you know. There's more of, like, prosaic comedies that you're describing as here. Like, they're all very plot-driven, too. They're all, like, yes. you know, A, this is this guy's A, you know, A, B, and C happens, now he's B. You know what I mean? Like, These old characters... school, even, like, old school, which wants to seem really frisky and, and, and sort of uh, antisocial, but really it's not. Really, it's got the sort of conservative streak going through it, I think. Like, it's not really... Like Animal House, they're disgusting. Like in, in old yeah. school, it's kind of like they're pretending to be disgusting. I mean, for a I, second. I I would argue yeah. there's there's some with some of these there is there's more going on than just the basic plot mechanics to get you from A to B to C. But yes, right. in, in the for the most part, yes, there is a if. There's but in a, this, the, the A to B to C, you don't it, following it is not you don't want to follow the A to B to C in this because they're leading you for their drinking. It's convoluted. It's a it's a stupid it's a stupid caper. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it's a yeah. stupid caper, and it just keeps it getting to, it amounts to nothing. more convoluted. A whole lot of nothing. And, he and just this, goes, All right, fuck it. <laughs> and this is so much more character driven, like you said, with these interesting characters that aren't just ciphers who are there to like you know have a, a great life changing experience by the end of the movie. The characters living with them, seeing them minute to minute, interacting with each other. That's what really makes movies like this, uh, as opposed to you know, uh, oh well, we have to hit this plot point and this plot point and this plot point so we get the you know affected result at the end. You know, like you said, the plot in this, you're just getting jerked around. It really has almost nothing to do with what makes this movie great. I, I exactly, I, exactly. We were completely concerned if we were going to be able to talk during a comedy, and here we are, like barely finding room to say certain things. We're trying to get so much knowledge right now. <laughs> yeah. We've skipped over everything involving the actual movie so far, except we're, for pointing out what date it takes place in. Where um, if not for walter none of this happens like the dude would have just been pissed about his rug and just went on with his life right. but walter's like damn it you go get that rug and here we go it sets everything into motion and here we are now that no, we're watching we're watching philip seymour hoffman who i think is un, like he might be the stealth best player in this movie among a, well this a is back when he was stealing scenes he's, uh-huh. he's in heart he's yeah. in what hard eight for like two seconds but mm-hmm. every moment of him rolling that dice he's just you know owning the frame and 
But this is, I mean, like I'd say there's a, there are a lot of character actors. Yeah. Every there are a lot of character actors is. stealing scenes in this. Though. I mean, think of John Turturro later, or you know, mm-hmm. I mean, well, he has a pretty small role, but every scene he's in is is solid gold. Oh, you know for sure, I mean? it's funny, but the big story is still at this at this time. It's hard to believe that at this time, Jeff Bridges was still not a star at all. Like, right, he was like everybody loved. He made so. He was a star man. Oh, yeah. but yeah, but going. every movie he made was like a disaster at the box office. But he made yeah. so many good movies, and he was such a great actor. At this point, you were like, "Is Jeff Bridges ever going to connect to the audience?" He finally did later after this, and this helped. But I mean, at the time you're watching this when it came out, it's like, "God, Jeff Bridges is so great. Why is he not? Why is he not more well known?" He'd done Fearless, and like no one seemed to. He got nominated, but that was a great performance, and it just felt like he had never really caught on at this point. And he's, so, he's a well, at this point he was doing boy. like what Arlington Road was like. Yeah. Yeah, Blo- blown away. Blown away. Like, no, it's a lot of it's a lot of like weird studio like thrillers that paired him up with someone else. They, they pair they pair him up. They they, they they pair him up and they seem to be like this is clearly going to be a hit. And then some other movie happens and it's a bigger hit. Like we were talking about this a lot with Speed, where Blown Away was like supposed to be the big hit of that summer, and then Speed comes along and ruined it. Ruined it for for Blown Away, which is not really a really good movie anyway. But at the same time, it's like. It's just these chance. It's like a lot of these chance. No, it's not. But it's like a lot of these chances are like coming along for bridges. But like, just he keeps getting undercutted, under undercut like along uh, uh, the way. <laughs> I think I mean, when, look- when this came out, like the big deal was like, oh my gosh, look at Jeff Bridges, because he. I mean, his look was just like wow at the time. That was kind of the the sell on. Some of the some of it, but no one went saw the. But he kind of he, he kind of came and went too, though. I mean, in the early seventies, he was in like a Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, which is a totally solid movie. Um, Last Picture yeah, Show, picture whatever, show. and then yeah. and then he's in like King Kong in the early seventies. I like and that then King Heaven, Kong. And then and then Heaven's Gate, you know, and like Tron, Tron like of course. I mean, there's Tron. Tron yeah, that's yeah. his oh, biggest. Tron, yeah, okay, I'll give you Tron. Tron. Somehow, I love Starman. Tron. Was like his biggest hit, I think. Him and yeah, like Carpenter. Just, <laughs> him and Carpenter, yeah. Him and Carpenter both. If you look at his cinema, if you look at his filmography from the very beginning, from the very beginning when he came out, almost every movie he's in is pretty good. Like he's everything he's in in the seventies: Stay Hungry, Hearts of the West, then Cutter's Way in nineteen or in, in eighty one. Like he's in so many great movies, but he just is never in a hit for some reason. And right. and, and like he just he's such great taste, you know. Well, I mean, he, he like when things start turning to blockbusters, his first, you know, he had King Kong and then. Pfft, and then Tron, yeah. and then you know is well, King Kong was a hit. Let's at the time it was a hit. It yeah, just he just never became right. a star for some reason. He, well, even but moving then, after that, I mean, he get he got he hooks up with a number of prestige like Heaven's Gate is. I mean, ideally yeah. that would have been this Gate, giant prestige even... thing. Starman worked out for him. It's not necessarily prestige, but it's certainly different for Carpenter and him to some degree. Then he gets into like Tucker, you know, a Coppola movie. Tucker, he's fantastic. Uh, you know, like the bomb movie bombs for some reason. Fa- fa- uh, Fabulous Baker Boys was pretty much a hit Great for everybody. Movie. Everybody but him was it was a hit for. Fabulous Baker Boys is a fantastic <laughs> movie. At this and point, he's bringing the, the Fisher King. The Fisher King, another one. Oh yeah, Fisher like, King. Yeah, like, he's not given any. You know, and you mentioned Fearless. I mean, there's there's so many of these that seem to come along. That's the thing. He was so great for so long, and you were like, is are, is the general public never going to love Jeff Bridges? It's amazing. How is this going to happen? Because he's done something like, like I love Tron. I think Tron is a really good science fiction. People yes. laugh about it, but I think it's really Tron's great. But, I love Tron. But because oh, yeah. he's in it for some reason, it's like it's cursed. Because Jeff... What was the movie that finally made him popular? Is it true? Uh, we'll get, like, we'll what... get to that in a moment. I just want to point out, this is the excuse we have to say this is Tara Reid's best movie. It is. That's not saying a whole lot. <laughs> this urban legend and what Van Wilder is that her three? Well, American Pie. Oh yeah, I don't that know. Movie. I saw Urban Legend at a screening a few weeks ago. I don't want them to hold up. But now, I mean, she's in six Sharknado movies, so she's got that going for her. 
This is her Don't forget the, the Alone in the Dark uh, adaptation. Oh, yeah. yeah that, that was, was the worst with the Newfoundland thing. Oh, good yeah. The weird... So, so back to your point, Yancey, about when Jeff Bridges becomes a star. It, it continues after this. I mean, there's there's still things like The Contender, where he gets another Oscar nomination. Let's and, not forget K-Pax. K-Pax, or there's another one where it's like yeah, it's coming it off still of, a while, right? You know, it has Jeff Bridges, but Kevin Spacey, and, like, we have to... Um, yeah, it's that, that, right that two man. You got Sea Biscuit, which is another like, hey, let's put him he's in great here. In all of these, right? He's, he's, he's not bad at all of these. If you wanted to, not, so it's after that he starts because he's just added value at this point. Because eventually you get to Iron Man, um, where you know he's the villain and everything, and it's you know it's a big movie. And he's still playing playing supporting roles. Crazy Heart, he wins an Oscar finally, mm-hmm. um, and then it's I guess it's True Grit. Like True Grit's yeah. like the thing where it's because he's the actual lead of that movie. As well as you it's know. a, it's the Coen Brothers' biggest hit movie still. It's a huge uh, hit. It's a, it's a huge hit by by far their biggest movie. Um, and like after, and even after that, like he's he's the lead occasionally, but there's just it's a mix of terrible movies or he's just kind of a side character. So like you get like R.I.P.D. or Seventh Son, but you also get Hell or High Water where he gets another Oscar nomination. But the yeah. weird the weird thing is in all these prestige movies that he starts doing where he's like a side character, he just keeps doing to some degree true grit like he's yeah like, they're let similar me just, yeah let me just mark, sort of still well, doing that true i'm this kind of i'm this kind of yeah. you know authoritative figure i have experience but i'm also marble mouthed so like you can't yeah. understand me but you believe that i can i'm confident in my job like that's the right. character he, he plays he, now i guess he never really did become a big star then but he got an oscar and he was in a huge hit and it's like it can't be stated enough that he's the kind of actor we wish there were more of where he obviously sought out interesting projects and got them made and they weren't hits but like his filmography is, is 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 a real testament to his taste, you know. Like, like I, I, you wish there were more actors who would get behind these, take these more interesting roles, and, and run the risk of not being a big movie star, which he didn't. He was never like Indiana Jones. Like in the eighties, it was like Against All Odds and The Morning After, and he just wasn't a star. Well, I mean, like, a modern. We have Jake Gyllenhaal kind of doing that. I yeah, would say so. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. it's been a while since I don't like. I'd be surprised if he took on like a major project again. Like he seems so. Re- so committed to doing like you know smaller projects and interesting things at this point compared to you know being a prince of persia or whatever prince of persia, prince of persia was his, <laughs> was his tron that, pretty much i mean it's you know it's a, a big effort that put you know he puts himself you in you mentioned like, inherent vice before i mean you could probably put joaquin phoenix in that column too couldn't you yeah I mean, he probably yeah, he takes also, things that he's more interested in rather than bigger, big budget movies. I mean, we can, we can go on and on and list true. a lot of these projects for a lot yeah. of these actors. I, yeah. I, I, I don't think Joaquin Phoenix ever really. I mean, I think Gladiator is like the peak of him, like trying to be involved in something big. I mean, there's probably other big movies. He he rejected Doctor Doctor Strange. Yeah, Doctor Strange. Yeah. He doesn't have confidence with uh, blue screens and stuff like that with his performances. So and you he can rejected. you can see it with some of these guys where they're not necessarily not necessarily method, but they're certainly guys that. You know they like the they like the art of of, nat, of naturalism. Yeah. Uh, you know they really, they like to kind of put that. Or being on a built set that you yeah, know or... you can. He would have been an odd Doctor Strange, I think. He would have been kind of shaky. The whole I guess he's supposed to be shaky because Doctor Strange's hands are shaky, but he would have been pretty shaky. I Doctor mean, I, yeah. I, I don't mind Benedict Timothy Carlton Cumberbatch, but at the same time, when they cast him, I was like, well, that's the most obvious choice you could have gotten for Doctor Strange. Yeah. It's like I would have. <laughs> I, 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 I have a, I have a hard time believing Joaquin Phoenix would sign a more than one film deal. For anything that's that's my yeah. my thing that's um, a really good that's a really good i, I mean I, I don't think we're there yet with inherent vice but inherent vice should be a cult movie like this oh it's that, that's a movie that's made to become a cult movie yeah. <laughs> like that's well i don't think it was, I, I, think I mean 
it's an outlier. It's strange that it's not as as well liked as other movies, but it's so packed. With, but it, like this, it's more like an album than it is like a novel because it's really the more you watch it, the more little bits you fall in love with. And by the end of it, you're like, I love this movie not because the story is involved, but because it's so rich. Right. Yeah. There are so many, time. so many details too in this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, little things like like Donnie always wearing bowling shirts, but none of them say Donnie, or you know, oh, or this aggression uh, uh, will not stand uh, on the TV at yeah. the beginning, and he throws it in his speech. Oh, like I, well, everything Jeff Bridges says, be, or like a lot of things Jeff Bridges become just like reconfigurations of things he hears throughout the yes. movie. Yes, <laughs> like which yeah. is amazing yeah, to me. He's checked. He's the dude. He's not. You know. He's he's. He's just coasting. Well, that, I, I mean, it, that's, I, the, that's the thing we haven't talked about, Jeff Bridges. This is such a perfect character for him. The, oh, like, so there's, good. there's not much and, you need to do based, to have you and based buy on a real guy. Yeah. Based yeah. on a real guy, Jeff Boyd, uh, who was like one of the guys who was, he was actually in the Seattle Seven, as he mentions later in the movie. He was one of the inst- the guys who helped Robert Redford get Sundance off the ground. And that he first met the Coen brothers when they were shopping Blood Simple at Sundance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they they really took a, sh- you know, a shine to him. And then, you know, uh, John Goodman playing uh, like a version of John Millius. I mean, yeah, they play yeah, so sure. well off to get up each other, you know. And, um, I mean, they're both amazing people in real life. And then to throw them as characters in this movie together is just a stroke of genius, I think. So here's yeah, I think here's, who, is, who in the world is going to get a John Millius? Who in the world is going to know that that's supposed to be John Millius? I will, because I love John Millius. <laughs> put, put, a, put a pin in that for a second, because I love the... Ideas that co- the Coens take all these random things and make them into stories, but this is the, this is the kind of thing that I love about this movie. You have all these little mini side characters, like this landlord, who like, in, like a... within a scene you get a whole story of like this guy yeah, co- clearly yes. admires everything about the dude, but he's also the landlord. So it's like, hey, you're gonna come to my show. Also, it's the first of the month. It's just like the little implications you get from everything and the little things, you, the little shake of the fist right there is like, yeah, right on. We're gonna, you know, gonna like do this thing. It's yeah. just, it's, it's what makes this movie so, so magical <laughs> when what it's like presenting and how everything revolving around the dude has such a kind of perfectly placed spot in his universe. It's just, it's, it's fascinating to me that the movie operates on that kind of level, which is just something you can say for most of the Coen Brothers filmography, anyway. Yeah, but um. Yeah, we're talking about Milius. You can see how critics, on the day it's released, they look at it and they go, well, they're not trying that hard. It's a little more freeform. You know, like, I, you can see how this movie would be dismissed initially and then later would gather its its cult because it's it, it has that feeling of, like, they're not really trying to make a totally cohesive movie. And, and then and, you look at it further and it's like, holy crap, this movie's actually really smart. <laughs> Of course, yeah. it's smart. Yeah. They're never going to make. They can't make anything that's not smart. But it's you know, more observational than it is. It's not to me. It's not involving as a story. It's involving as a series of moments. Set up know. setups and payoffs and little trinkets. I, you know, I. It's funny that I equate the kind of the phantom of this movie where you know I. I. You know, I hate. Don't mean to be a hipster, being like I was there opening weekend, but I saw okay. this movie. I loved it. I watched it, and then. You know, this yeah. huge fandom comes down on it, and then they're right. wanting a sequel to this movie. Or, like, and, and I kind of equate it to like the Arrested Development thing, where all these people never watched the show, but then all of a sudden, all of a sudden oh, we got to have this fourth season where most of the people were, you know, were, you know, it ended, and we we're like, all right, well, we have these seasons, and then now after they make said fourth season, who's demanding more Arrested Development? Well, I think uh, you make <laughs> well, that's a, a cult. About... That's what a cult success is, right? It, it doesn't catch on until later. I mean, well, yeah. I think, 
I think the reason this did so well on home video and more people came to it later after it was in the theater is because of like the details you guys are talking about, like right. the little things that you, that you get when you watch it more than one time. And exactly. it's the kind of thing where one person might see it and see it a second time and be like, oh, notice this, notice that. And it really lends itself to that kind of discovery rather than, you know, seeing it in the movie theater. So, True. And again, I don't I don't want to be like a hipster or whatever and say it, but I mean, I was just a big fan of the Coens. That's why I saw it in the theater. Yeah, yeah, we all I'm sure all of us liked it when we saw it in the theater. But yeah, I did. I did, too. You know, now I, I, will, I will note that I'm, you know, the youngest of the group Early here. Maybe, of course. Yeah, no, but 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 I was a big Fargo. I saw Fargo. Yeah. way young and i was in love with fargo <laughs> I, I had so much love for that movie i got a wood chipper for my fifth for, no that's why it's that's, you know what's weird about the coens for me I mean, this has been true for like their last 10 or two like all their movies i always like it better the second or third time i think i hold them to such high standards that i always like their movies better the second or third time i see yeah. them. i think it's also because mm-hmm. they're so rich that you start to take in more of the purposefulness of everything like it's the, I totally yes, agree with movie, that. The story of this movie is aimless. The story is aimless, but the film is not aim, it's The design is beautiful. It's a beautifully made movie. It's, it is exactly what it wants to be. It just wants to be aimless. I, you know? I, I'm at a point where I can agree with what you're saying. It's just I don't necessarily like it more when I see it again. It's just like I get that I'm going to want to watch this again just because I love the Coen brothers. But I watch something like Hail Caesar. It's like I see what they're doing the first time around and I'm and watching it. again. It's like, yeah, they're just doing this. And it's amazing. Like I did. I, I, well, this one has this, this one, you know, a movie like Miller's Crossing or something is, a, is a, like a symphony. And it's a big emotional thing. And by the end, you, it's a real effect. It's an affecting thing. This mm-hmm. is really more. This is like this movie has five or six of the funniest moments of any movie. Like, <laughs> and it's just worth watching to see some of these moments. This is a great moment. There's, there's some moments that just that just kill me and destroy me every time, like Blazing Saddles or something. Like, it doesn't have to be a, 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 a you know, I don't know. It's a, I don't it's think a, comedy is as subjective as, as Aaron was implying. But the fact that it would be hard to do a commentary, I don't see why comedy is any more subjective than, it, subjective than anything. Oh else. my it's god! Not, it's, not, it's not. It's not a matter of subjective. We can't let for this, this scene go by without talking about it. I'm sorry we'll to interrupt we'll you guys. Talk, we'll talk. <laughs> but oh it's, it's not. A, it's not a matter of thinking it's subjective as far as what we can talk about. It's just more of with a comedy. I like watching it. Like I don't. <laughs> I don't necessarily oh, yeah. like even with com- yeah. like. For my best example might be Edgar Wright films, where I like watching his films so much that I I take a while to actually watch the commentaries, which are full of information and funny bits, also. But just because I really like watching the comedy, I like hearing the lines mm-hmm. and stuff. So it's yeah, hard for me sure. to kind of sit down and <laughs> and not want to do this. Anyway, John Turturro is acting a fool right now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love that. I love that scene. Oh my god. It's a great scene. This big purple costume he has. This and he recently made a film like spinoff yeah. based yeah. off. Yeah, uh, what's it? Going places. Uh, Going places. Yeah, he directed a he directed a film that's yeah a a space spinoff of his of his Jesus character. You don't fuck with the Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> the reaction shots are just great. Do you guys think if this movie's a little more critically praised, makes money at the box office, do you think Goodman could have got an Oscar nom for uh, best supporting? I doubt it. You doubt it? I, d- I mean, Golden Globe, maybe, but like a March, Globe, uh, a March release like this. Like, where was yeah. John Goodman otherwise? Was he at this point in his career? I'm trying to think. Exactly where he still is. I mean, a, a solid supporting <laughs> really? player that everyone respects, but nobody wants to give too much uh, awards attention to when it comes time. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 his that's his life. <laughs> Beyond you know the multiple Emmy wins. Because <laughs> I mean, he's he's always yeah, good, but this is just another like level. Emmys, you know. Even then, he didn't they, win they two. They must take it for granted for some reason, because yes, Goodman, he's great in here, of course. He did get a, a nomination for Barton Fink for uh, Golden Globe. 
Oh, he's yeah. amazing in Barton Fink. He's amazing in everything. That's John Goodman's fantastic. I mean, yeah, but that movie, Barton Fink. Oh, well, King Barton, Rob, Barton, not so much. But, but he's, I mean, he's not bad in it. It's just a bad movie. <laughs> like, yeah, right. The, the problem isn't John Goodman. It's never The problem's never John Goodman. That's uh, true. Barton Fink's one where, actually, speaking of like movies that grow on you, like I've always loved Barton Fink, but every time I watch it, I'm like, this might be, this keeps climbing the charts of my favorite Coen Brothers movies. Like, there's, mm. it's just, that and Serious Man, actually. They do, they both just keep climbing every time I watch them as far as what they're doing how they balance everything but that's um, funny i feel the same way about those two actually those two are, are and i would add to, to to those two i would add uh lou and davis those are the three that that are the most lou, mean most to me lou and davis right off the bat i was like this is just an instant classic for me but like <laughs> yeah but it, it's all, actually with barton fig it's the same that i'm thinking of like phantom thread recently with paul thomas anderson's like every time i think about this movie it's like this is this is him just doing everything correctly <laughs> like there's no yeah no man, question phantom thread is oh <laughs> Like I, I got the I got the Blu-ray to review and I immediately tore through it and I was like, like I love his movies and I love some of his other movies like more currently but you know putting in the in the history of PTA this might like rise to like being the top movie of his of, of his career for a variety of reasons like it's just so good um, I, I ranked it too low in my race to get a top ten list done for 2017 regardless oh, that was the best <laughs> movie of last year I think for sure it's, it's, I haven't seen everything but that was fantastic. Regardless, uh, John Goodman. But, yes, let's just say yeah, the Coens yeah. have a film catalog that's majority, at least, very good. You know, there's the. I mean, like, ne- the Coens have never even even in, in, in *Tolerable Cruelty*. The Coens, I, I would argue, they would never make a. They couldn't make a bad movie. They, there's too much. There's Roger Deakins, and they're they're too funny from moment to moment. Even *Tolerable Cruelty* has some charm to it. I mean, they, they could never make something totally uninteresting. Right. Or too I, interesting. I um. I don't disagree. I've yet to watch Lady Killers or Intolerable Cruelty a second time. That said, the mm-hmm. thing with Lady Killers for me, because I like Intolerable Cruelty more, especially the second half. I think the second half becomes like pure classic Coen's. Um, but, mm-hmm. but with uh, Lady Killers, I love the original Lady Killers way yeah, too much. Yeah, that's the one thing. That's, I what, think, yeah. Yeah. that's what holds People me back from embracing it, because I really love it. I, lo- I like yeah. the cast of Lady Killers in this new one that they did, and I like what they're going, but it just, it's so broad in a way that just feels like obvious Coens like it's my example would be Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland where it's like well of oh course God, I, I can't where it's like of course they did this this is it, it's like someone parodying this person yet it's the very person that's par- that's doing it to begin with like that's that's kind of that's kind of how I feel about Lady Killer it's like this just feels so obviously trying to be a Coen Brothers movie and it happens to be directed by the Coen Brothers I think that movie was a victim of uh, of just the, the times it was not it was not a good time to be a Coen Brothers movie I think it's I think that one is in what way? I mean, it's just, how, do you, how, do you, how do you mean? Because I don't know. I don't understand. Well, I think it was just out of fashion. Intolerable Cruelty was the first movie that had come along that they hadn't liked, and then the idea that they would work with Tom Hanks and do a remake and work for Disney, it just sort of all of a sudden oh, felt oh, to people oh, like brother was Disney. Out. I mean, oh, brother of Arthur was Disney. I know, but it, it felt to people like a sellout, and the fact that it's a remake felt like a sellout. I just, I, 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 I it's another one that I thought I loved that one the first night it came out. And I'm surprised it hasn't. I mean, I, I mean, I guess like, what, what you're, I mean, you're saying like it came at the right. What's the right time? I mean, all those factors seem like they would be the right time pretty universal right now. Oh. The right time. I think right now they're they're in their emeritus stage where anything they do is going to be respected enough. But there's a time when critics, critics, at least the critical establishment would hold them off as say they were cold. The movies were cold hearted, too clever. They weren't uh, they were too they were too well thought out and they weren't sort of organic at all. That would be the thing they would hold against the Cohen sort of mid career. But then now yeah, well, they've, they've uh, in their I, 50s, can, it's more can, like, okay, they're great. And... I, can, I can tell you why. It's because the establishment that reviews movies currently are, you know, 
between my and your age, where it's people that grew up with these things and are happy to accept them for what they're doing and not grading them down. Well, I mean, the the critics have always been kind of hot and cold with the Coens. I mean, I remember, you know, the critics love Blood Simple and Raising Arizona. Miller's Crossing was kind of cold, uh, coldly received, you know. In, yeah, in because they, they um, and man who wasn't there, uh, you know, coming off of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, really was kind of panned, not really, you know. So I, I mean, I, 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 a hot cold thing with them. I, I understand. I understand that regard, and I disagree with the ones that find them to be cold. When it's like, well, you walked into their movie, what did you expect? And they gave you another masterpiece, but. What what what, what 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 I'm saying what I'm saying though is that the people that grew up watching these movies, they're the ones that are now reviewing movies, and there's a level of well, expectation. that's not necessarily a good thing. We don't. Want I'm not to saying it's a good or a bad thing, but I'm saying that the kind of regard that the Coens have come from people that grew up having that high regard. For I them. I just no, I disagree. I think the thing is they were established as great right off the bat. Everybody can recognize from Blood Simple and Raising Arizona these guys are really. But I really think talented. there's a difference between established critics like... that are watching these filmmakers grow no, versus no, people no, that were at a younger I, age what going growing up with them. Hold on, hold on, hold. When 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 these guys when these movies were coming out, there was more of a sense that the critical establishment would hold you to make sure that every movie you put out was to their high standards. Like when Cape Fear came out, some critics didn't like Cape Fear, saying, "Well, it wasn't worthy of Scorsese." To me, that's a great movie, but the idea that a serious a, a serious and gifted guys like the Coen Brothers should not be putting out something that's kind of fluffy like this—that's always the sort of tone of the day of release. A movie like this always, gets, and and you know, it's I don't think it's true. I think we still in this in this culture very much hold these artists up and we really we don't often say well it wasn't that great but i kind of liked it every movie is great or terrible so when someone comes along a new coen brothers comes along movie comes along it doesn't it doesn't generally get it's either love it or hate it it's not it's not an eh. and and i think it's because we go in thinking well impress me you're the coen brothers impress well there's me. a problem with wasn't like things that like wasn't good as the last one means it's bad exactly. even though it's yeah. still good that's that's, that's a, a problem that's a really too. good point like, I remember Hudsucker Proxy took a lot of heat for not being as good as Barton Fink when it came out. I mean, you yeah, know. Barton Fink won the, well, Barton Fink won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, and so, of course, it came, it, when it opened in this right. country, the critics were already sort of, like, had their knives out for it to prove that they were better critics than the, than the Cannes. You know, I think Barton Fink is one of their best movies, but, like, you know, it's, it's like, it's like, I mean, it's like Bob Dylan. Like, Bob Dylan gets the same thing. Bob Dylan put out a lot of great albums he really worked on really hard, or, you know, and, and then a lot of albums that were sort of middling and whatever and at the time they got dismissive reviews later on you go well it's still a bob dylan album i mean how can you pretend it's not worth something so now we look back and every coen brothers movie seems worthwhile but i think on the day of release there's always a sense of well it's not fargo like fargo they worked on a little more and it's more polished right or wrong i think that's the idea is you want to I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't agree with this, but I'm just saying. I think that that's sort of why. I don't disagree with it. I do. I don't, I don't think I'm getting into my point well enough, but I don't want to either. I just want to keep moving because there's so much to go yeah, over. Yeah. But I, I mean, and I. I mean, you say not Fargo or like not No Country, which is especially a case where like Burn After Reading got like slammed for being very exactly. typical Coens. At the same time, exactly. that movie's so fucking brilliant of what it's trying right, to it's do. Not it's, no. not a, it's not a masterpiece, yeah. but it's like. I mean, when you're not masterpiece is merely a nine out of ten. Like, I mean, it's like, what are you doing? Oh, <laughs> like, no, no, is, is Burnout Green is a nine out of ten? That's, that's I'm going. Nine. I'm speaking generalities. I mean, come on. I mean, it's, you know what I'm saying here. It's I not... think we're, I think Kubrick's movies are at worst a nine out of ten. He <laughs> okay. was somebody who never never made a movie that wasn't a full effort. And like, it's not. It's but everybody can't be Kubrick, you know. Like everybody I makes mean, one that's sort of a bit of a. A fluffier one. Regar yeah. Regardless of the numbers that Peter Paris isn't here to defend, I mean, it's it's more of I. It's not the Coens and I. You know, plenty of filmmakers. I mean, I, they're they're never like. There's no phoning it in here. I can understand the regard no, being no like, in, no, the, the sure. regard the regard being like yes, this isn't one of their 
quote unquote serious pictures but at the same time it's like there's nothing here that looking at this list of films in front of me there's nothing here that speaks to like oh they just wanted to do a thing uh it's like, right when you're the coen brothers sometimes you're when, when you're as brilliant as the coen brothers sometimes when you're casually brilliant it kind of offends people you're kind of showing off how brilliant you are by kind of riffing something which is what they're doing here which some critics will take offense with and say well you know you, you shouldn't be casually riffing when you're this brilliant but fair, fair. Well, it's a, like llewellyn davis kind of is that casually br- brilliant where you just kind of hear what like they're much more well thought out it's deeper, so, but on a surface, like descriptive level, you're kind of like, "Oh, that's what they're doing," and then you see it, and it's like, "Oh, wow." I think, I, I think True Grit would be the best example of that, where it's like, "That's you know, it's a straight up remake of a western," and yet it's oh yeah, and, and yet it takes the source material, and it takes the concept of westerns, and it takes this great cast of characters, and like just lets them kind of have this deeply moving experience to the people that are within the film and play with that play with the imagery, play with the iconography, and it works for that for that, for that reason. I think the movies are different. Go, Jim. Sorry, go ahead. Go, Jim. I was just going to say, they're different. the movies are different enough, too, that I think, you know, like you say, you, you often judge by the last thing you made. You know, I mean, when Oh Brother Where Art Thou really blew up and became huge and everything, then they came out next with a, you know, a, a movie, a black and white movie, you know, as noir as noir, noir can get. I mean, people are thrown by that, you know, because, you know, you expect, when you say a Spielberg movie, you 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 have a preconception in your mind, you know what I mean? You say, you know, but with the Coen brothers, you really, honestly, I mean, when I went to see Hail Caesar, I didn't know what to expect after Llewellyn Davis, you know what I mean? When I right. when I saw Intolerable Cruelty, I didn't know what to expect to see after, you know, a man who wasn't there. I think the difference of their movies is what throws the critics off, and they're expecting them to do what they did before that everybody likes so much, and when they don't do that, and they do what interests them instead, they're like, oh, well, this isn't good, they're spinning their wheels, they're doing this exactly, or whatever. Exactly. Like, I mean, my, my, my good example here is the Hudsucker Proxy. I remember Barton Fink came out, like you said, won the Palme d'Or, won Golden Globes, very critically acclaimed. Hudsucker Proxy came out, very much a lighter tone movie, very much in the time, you know, style of the screwball comedies of the 50s and whatnot. And I remember the critics hating it and just crapping all over it. You know, Fargo so came out. And then, too. I don't know why that matters, right, but it's a very expensive right. movie. Well, and then Fargo came out, and, you know, again, you know, Academy Awards, everyone loved it. And then this came out, and it was so different from Fargo, they're like, oh, well, you know, they, they're just, again, spinning the wheels or whatever. And, and because the movies are so different from one another, I think that's something that throws off the critical you know, assessment of them, uh, you know, until such time has passed that you look back and you're like, yeah, this is a totally solid movie. It's just, you know, again, you know, a lot of critics judge on their on their previous effort. You gotta make a snap judgment too. You gotta decide right away how good a movie is. That's hard. I mean, especially, yeah. especially I wouldn't trust my first viewing of a Coen Brothers movie and then to write to write about it right away. So but I think you. I think that the, the, the Fargo. The, the thing is that you could argue, and if you want to get really right brained about it, Fargo, you can argue doesn't have a lot of flab. You could, you couldn't argue there are too many scenes you could cut out of Fargo. It's a very lean and effective movie. Obviously the. The, the scene at the, 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 the buffet is whatever, but this movie, you can say, well, you cut it, you cut any number of scenes out of this and it'll be the same movie. And that becomes the, the sort of objective thing that I think hurts it at the time. Any movie that sprawls like this tends to be underrated initially. So we're, it's not tight. We're saying the Cullen brothers are the last Jedi of filmmakers. Well, some of them, they're, they're few, <laughs> one of the few. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, they just go a completely different direction than you expected. Um, we didn't finish talking about John Goodman. <laughs> just to trace this back to the movie that we're watching. We just watched The Kidnapping go awry, by the way. Um, the Ringer. The Ringer. 
Great sound, the great CCR soundtrack in this movie, by the way, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not it's as overused as it was tape. as it is now. It wasn't quite as overused then, I don't think. Well, it's also, they didn't use, like, the same old tracks that you get in most movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, they do use the different mm. one. They don't use the uh, they don't typical use Nam track. Son or, yeah, 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 I was going to say, Fortunate Son is in every Vietnam movie, so. It ain't me! <laughs> <laughs> I always hate that people can't hear it as the real song. It's a great song. You know? Oh, it is a great song. There's, I have nothing wrong with so many times, yeah. I have nothing against CCR it. whatsoever. But yeah, the, when a movie does it, I'm like, the, especially these days, like, oh, here we go. Well, <laughs> well, they flip a coin. One side CCR, the other's Rolling Stone <laughs> Satisfaction. It's, it's one or the other when they go to Vietnam. <laughs> it's based off budget, too, of course. Uh, <laughs> we got a big or budget. Along the Watchtower. Let's not forget Along the Watchtower. Watchtower, yeah. Uh, but only the brilliant uh, ones can inspire <laughs> me so horny. There you go. <laughs> well, I think now we have give me shelter. I think we, I think we have some filmmakers that who only hear music from other movies. That's why you keep. That's why like, I think it's weird that the Zack Snyder songs are all so on the nose. Like, used, used before so many times. Like in Watchmen, it's like, does he only know songs when he hears them in other movies? Because this is weird. Right. Like, why would you ever think to use "Sound of Silence" in the Watchmen? Anyway, that, well, yeah, well, to, or times they are changing for that opening sequence. To, to be know? fair to Watchmen, and that now, I, to be fair, I like Watchmen. to be fair to Watchmen, which we all, I think we all do like to varying degrees. Um, yeah. The the book does call out a number of those songs that are used in that movie. Oh, I, it does very it, much. Like, very I much. mean, Sounds of Silence is reference to that movie. There's, along the Watchtower is definitely. Of of silence. I don't think the Sounds of Silence is. Sounds of Silence is. It is. It is. It's it's in the it's in the, the that funeral chapter. Uh, reg- regardless, uh, <laughs> yes, there are certainly giant problems of using like the um, the Leonard Cohen Hallelujah because that's just such an overplayed song already. Like, there's things like that that stick out way too much. Um, why do we give it on this point? <laughs> We're talking about CCR. Well, right? CCR in this movie. Music yeah. in the, Where he's in the letting movie. him know right now about his Creedence tapes over the car. Yeah. Yep. I think that, that, that's another thing about this movie. Is I, think the, I think the music stuff is probably indicative of the Coen's actual taste. Like I think they probably are like Bob Dylan guys and Creedence guys. And and, and, and not Captain Eagles Beefheart. guys. Yeah, right, Captain Beefheart. That's weird. That Eagles thing is weird. Like, I always thought that was weird because everyone basically now doesn't like the Eagles because of that line. Like that's your excuse to just say. Like they don't even know. They don't even know why people don't like the Eagles. Oh, the dude doesn't like the Eagles. I can't like the Eagles. Actually, Jack Boyd, Jeff Boyd didn't like the Eagles. That's why they put it in the movie. Right, Right. but I'm saying people now will just go. I don't like the Eagles either because they heard that one line in that movie, and it's like, uh, (laughs) it's strange how that works. To be fair, I'm not. I I never was really a big. I like Desperado. I like that song a lot. Are you never were a big? When did you see this movie? What? When did you see this movie? Like how how long have you been aware of that line of dialogue in this movie? Since seeing the movie, but regardless, like Eagle songs to me is it's not they're not ones that I listen to of the of the growing up and hearing various you know classic rock groups and what have you. It's like that's never one that's been like, oh yeah. I would say I bet you because of this movie. It's part hive mind. I'll give you that. Probably, probably didn't help. Yeah, it's high, it's, it's like, high mind. I've heard Hotel California plenty of times before this movie, and I was like, yeah, it's a song. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little high mind. The reason people didn't like the Eagles because they were kind of assholes, I think, at the time. It wasn't nothing to do with... Then what are you blaming me for? Like, I mean, like... <laughs> he trapped you. I didn't like the Eagles because they were pretty much my dad's 8-track collection in the 80s. I hated it, so... But when, they, when I heard this in this movie, I was like, yeah, okay. Somebody else doesn't like them as well. But I guess that was included because Jeff Boyd didn't like the Eagles. And um, there's there's an apocryphal story too about the guy who had the um, 
the rights to some of the music in this movie and it was going to charge an exorbitant amount for the use of it. And then he heard that line about him hating the Eagles and then waived the fee because he hated the Eagles too. So, well, but Metallica they were, they were got really out fine. Businessmen, the Eagles. Yeah. Really cutthroat businessmen. That's why people don't like them. I think mm. it's just weird how it mutates into this where it's like, yeah. Anyway, well, he, he, dude doesn't, doesn't like Metallica either, but that didn't. Right. He doesn't like them personally. Right. That's people. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, then, he, he, then he, a year later, Metallica get themselves in the Napster thing, so they kind of were doing it. Or they're talking about Metallica's crew. I guess he's talking about the actual band. So that is a good yeah. Thing. Yeah, is there a bunch of assholes as we call them? <laughs> <laughs> Which actually, you know, I always kind of thought when he when he's given her that rundown of his life, mm-hmm. I always kind of think he's secretly playing the character from King Kong still. You know, little, <laughs> little, little, little bit. I can almost hear him saying, "Oh, you know, back in the '70s, I was involved with that Kong thing." You know, like he's almost like that's who he looks like. He looks like that Jeff Bridges. Well, that's the he would be that... that guy. He was a liberal firestarter guy in King Kong. That's the, he, would, he would be this guy at this point. You know, that same character. I Especially think... if you went through King Kong and you lost all your hope, you'd be a burnout like this. I think that's the thing to, about Jeff Bridges, especially during a certain kind of a current run, where it's like he can his character. He's so. He's one of those guys where yeah, you can call him rangy, but I mean, he's fairly consistent in the type of people that he plays, or at least the gravitas that he brings to it. But you don't mind the fact that he's not reaching too far away from a standard Jeff Bridges persona that you like. And so you can imagine, like, all these different threads being loosely connected to other versions of earlier characters he's played before. <laughs> I never thought of this as a sequel to King Kong, but. I always have from the beginning. I like that King Kong for whatever reason. I've always liked that one. And I always thought it's kind of like he's playing. You know where I got it from? It's because this was right around the time that The Rock. Remember The Rock came out, Michael, the Michael Bay movie? And I think mm-hmm. Sean Connery at some point said, you know, I'm actually playing James Bond in this movie to somebody, like a little aside. As in, of course, he's now playing James Bond, but in his mind, he's kind of playing Bond again. So for a while, I was in that frame of mind with all these performances. Like, oh, he's actually playing King Kong again, I can tell. Not not as funny as it when it actually you, you, you know I'm a big Kong fan and I just can't get behind the deal with Dino Rointas King Kong. Hey, I know most people can't. <laughs> yeah, can't. I'm, I'm I, with I really you. Like it. It's it's a I, chore you know to watch. I like it because it feels like I, it feels like Altman Kong. That's why I like it. It feels like a set. It really feels like Robert Altman. Kong, Every, if there was a thing, everything about it should make me like it. It's got Jeff Bridges. It has Charles fucking Grodin with a stash. <laughs> with a stash. But it's just unbelievably gorgeous. Jessica Lange of all. That's like Jessica Lange. That is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in any movie ever. And, <laughs> and it's like I'm the guy. I'm the, I'm the guy that can watch Peter Jackson's three-hour King Kong all day, but I can't watch that two-hour, ten-minute Kong. Like it just, it just gets. To, it's just so. It just feels long to me. Okay, yeah. Carl Hungus. Look, I think Peter Jackson's the best one. Like, and I'm, I know I get hammered. Oh, I'm jamming. All right, let's. I I I don't disagree with you. Um, let's talk. But about... I like them all. My point is, I like them all. Oh yeah, I I, I can I have affinity for aspects of the. 70s Kong, but regardless, um, let's talk about Julianne Moore a bit. Uh, we'll, yeah. talk, we'll get back to we'll, we'll get back to Goodman because he'll be back. Because <laughs> I still want to talk about Goodman because there's some inter career path he's on. Where's Julianne Moore right now? She's coming off of what Lost yeah, Boogie World. Nights, Boogie Nights, and Lost World. You know, a weird year this where it's be- like was this before Boogie Nights or after? This is after Boogie Nights is the year before Boogie Nights mm-hmm. gets her an Oscar nomination and she's in a blockbuster Spielberg film. Uh, mm-hmm. so it's like you know he's, he's got a big year in '97. Now it's '98, mm-hmm. and she has the Psycho mm-hmm. remake in this. <laughs> like, Wait, which Spielberg movie? I'm sorry, The Lost World. Oh right, right. She wasn't. I don't. And when did she become well liked? I don't think she had the reputation. I mean, she was a great actress from the beginning, like in Shortcuts. But she eventually became someone that the public started to appreciate more. But I don't know when that was either. I'm not sure if she was. Oh, but she. I mean, become she the Oscar nomination in a 
Thomas Anderson, a PTA movie held Magnolia, you know, that's a you know, well, second, far from heaven. Also. Second, yeah. Like far from, yeah, far from heaven's where I think she became more of a, there's yeah. a reason we need to go and see it. And like that, and like the hours are the same year. It's yeah. like, this is yeah. a dramatic actress that we really like to see. That's like kind of where that started. Like she's already, I mean, she's in Hannibal. She's in Hannibal before that, I guess. So like, that's like, yeah, well, she started um, taking, she was in, but she was in shortcuts with all like, I know. Yeah there's, yeah. Oh, yeah. there's no, there's no question about the kind of quality of films she was making in the nineties where she's becoming this strong character actress that people really she's like to great. see. On screen. She's a phenomenal actress from the first movie she's in. She's a brilliant actress. She had to overcome being so beautiful to be taken seriously. I think, but she, she, I think she's almost as good as Meryl Streep. Almost. You know, I, 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 almost. I, I would, <laughs> these so days, good. these so days good. I would, I think Meryl Streep is the greatest film actor who ever lived. So, <laughs> These, when I say that, it's not what... these days I would generally hand it to Moore just because I I just get tired of wig and accent and street performances. Uh, yeah, we part. can't get tired. We, we get tired of great things too. It's just the way we are as human beings. Meryl Streep is perfectly rated. She's a genius. And you can't get tired of something like that. She'll be dead one day and there won't be anybody. Like she's amazing. I mean, I, I, I know we get tired of amazing. I know. I've given still. plenty of credit to the post as being like the first street performance in a while. I'm like, oh, this is one where I wouldn't mind seeing a default Oscar nomination. So like, oh, if you she, like Ricky in the Flash, didn't you? Yeah, I I prefer Streep's. I mean, the post notwithstanding, I do tend to prefer Streep's contemporary performances. That's why I think um, adaptation. And uh, like defending your life for movies that I just oh, really yeah. enjoy because she's just playing she's, she's playing a person like... <laughs> that is, mm-hmm. that's just like human. Same same thing you said. And I think that's just the knock against Meryl Streep. I don't think I mean whoever was better at doing those different characters like if we just don't like that from anybody. I'm not putting her. Why, like... why are we talking so much about Meryl Streep? I'm not putting her down as an actress. I'm just saying if I was to cho- choose a preference, that's the that's the type of street performance I do tend to prefer. And it's also a strong reason why I think Stuck on You is a great co- is a great Fairly Brothers movie because she's in there just doing herself, and it's kind of amazing what she's doing in like a five minute cameo. Watch it next. Yeah. Regardless, we're talking about more. Um, and yeah, I think we I think we kind of settled on that. Like that 2002 era is where she kind of kind of became like a dramatic actress mixed with hey we can go see that person it's kind of got her doing a jennifer jason lee thing in here a little bit she's so strident like they have jennifer jason lee and hudsucker proxy you know what i mean Uh uh-huh yeah he's very arch in this oh for sure yeah i mean because you wouldn't necessarily buy like francis mcnorman in this kind of role but like julia moore is like there's enough quirkiness in the type of character that's going on here where it kind of fits i love how here david huddleston Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's funny, like just looking at how much twin like Philip Seymour Hoffman and Jeff Lebowski <laughs> are here, to where like this is almost okay. Because so there's a, and we haven't talked about much, but there's the Gulf War like is over this all over this damn movie. I mean, when mm-hmm. I was younger and I saw it, I was just like I got that it was uh, going on at the time as presence. But I mean, there's so much here, but like I almost feel like it's ahead of its time and like prophetic because you know you could be sitting here looking at like george bush senior and george w with dude in the car mm-hmm. almost right. because these two are like guys you know with a bullshit cause looking to get rich out of it um through through you know force and dude through false sense of security or looking like every, we're gonna take care of you but every facial expression philip seymour hoffman makes in this movie is fucking fantastic and he keeps doing things every scene that you see the camera of him and he like huddleston's being amazing just enraged and hoffman's right next to him just making the like look at these faces like he's making... <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Um, we talked over my favorite line of this entire movie, and there's a lot of amazing lines in this movie, but it's it's when Julianne Moore asks, that when they're watching the movie, and he, she asks, you can see where it goes from here, and the dude says, he fixes the cable, and it just <laughs> kills me. <laughs> that was, oh, that line, yeah. <laughs> I'm here to fix on a cobble. Yeah. There's a lot. Oh, yeah, there's, that's my friend, she just got in the shower. I always thought the Gulf War stuff was kind of meant to be because at the time, and when this movie came out, that was seen like just a tiny little war. Like, I feel like it was almost meant to be a joke that you would set a movie during the Gulf right, War. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, I think it's different now. And I'm sure now if you're young and you watch it, you don't even know that it's not made during the same year as the Gulf War, probably. But at the yes, time, it was stolen. definitely like, oh, that's interesting. You said it six years ago for some reason. Well, I think it's right. I think it's partly because the, the way the, the Gulf War sets these guys off who are guys that grew up during the Vietnam War. I think that's... Mm-hmm. This guy checked out in 68, right? He's not with yeah. the... Yeah, right, of course. And, yeah. and you have like lines like Gott Goodman saying things like that camel fucker in Iraq, things like that, where it's like it, it's like getting to them that this kind of thing is happening at this time, and it makes them reflect back on the times where they're at their peaks where they where they where they were right. the, growing into the people that they would become for better or worse. And you got the it's two funny, why are they even the friends, those two guys? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> they're both on different sides of that coin of of that Vietnam War stance. You know, the one side, you know, the dude is you know, I was in Seattle seven, I loved that march or whatever, and then you have you know John Goodman's character who's on the exact opposite side, you know. Mm-hmm. Well it's a, it's I mean seeing a way of pe- people come together. I I've friends like that who we could be at one in one way you can see us as diametrically opposed but at the same time it's like you go you're going around opposite sides of a you know a coin and you, eventually you meet up again so it's like you, you find that connection right. somehow but in but in light of the you know the, the gulf war and everything to see those two kinds of reactions from that uh-huh. you know from the vietnam war reflected in the time of the gulf war mm-hmm. oh the toast scene <laughs> <laughs> I like John Goodman immediately just is, is already like out of it. He's like, that's doesn't matter. <laughs> Don't worry about it. He's so he's so sure of himself. <laughs> well, he sets this whole thing off by having the dude go, but he's right about oh, everything. The way, yeah, like you no, know, having a yeah. ringer because there was no money involved to begin with. Uh, you know. It... Yeah. No, he he does. For what, however he does, he does drive the plot as far as making things happen because of the way he set he's setting them up to happen. Hell, I can get you a toe by three. Is that- <laughs> this is like this is like one of the two uh, restaurants they film everything in L.A. in. Yeah, um, yeah. This I, this restaurant actually doesn't exist or didn't. It's not an actual restaurant. It was only used for movie sets. It's in Reservoir Dogs and a bunch of other movies, um, which is interesting. But um, yeah, it's either this is the one in Pulp Fiction that you always see. <laughs> In LA. Let's get back to Goodman now, because I didn't want to talk about Goodman. We've got him right here. Um, he's at a point where he's just—he's just—I mean, he's—he's he's generally been supporting, but like there was that—that that, that early '90s period where they're like, let's put get, get, let's put Goodman in the like the lead role of things, and so you gave him like the Babe, you gave him a King Ralph, King Ralph matinee. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of an ensemble, but he's technically the yeah. lead of that movie. Flintstones. Now he was the, like he was the, the cell one. of matinee. I mean, yeah, you know, he's the cell of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, even the movie itself is like more about those kids. Yeah, uh, that was how <laughs> John Goodman stayed legit because because he always kept going back to the Coens. Like he always thought it, it was always nice that he kept that relationship going, even as he became a bigger, more mainstream star. He kept sort of mm-hmm. the connection with the Coens. I always thought that was cool of him, you know. But like the the, 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 the Flintstones is like 
the last time he gets like a lead vehicle by himself, if I'm, if I'm not right. mistaken. I'm trying to think of anything. I'm looking, looking. I mean, you got, got 10 Cloverfield Lane. But that's not sold on like just his name. Like the Flintstones is like, it's right. it's John Goodman as Fred Flintstone. The 10 yeah. Cloverfield Lane is not 10 Cloverfield Lane featuring crazy guy. Like he's not even the lead right. character. He's a, he'd be a supporting actor to, to Mary Elizabeth Winstead in that movie. Like uh, yeah. Flintstones is like... I'm, just looking at it here, like I mean, it's everything else is at at the most two handers where you have things like Blues Brothers two thousand, or even mm-hmm. this movie that we're talking about. Or yeah, yeah, you got like sure. what Red State where he's Red supporting. St- yeah, Red State where he's yeah he's the biggest star in the movie, but yeah he's not the lead yeah. of that movie. Yeah, everything else is, I mean, even like what Emperor's New Groove, he's you know kind of a the, the co lead with David Spade. I mean. And he's a guy that guy's on fifty years from now. People will be looking back. Oh, I love that guy. Who was that? Was that why that why wasn't that guy a bigger star? I love that. What's that one guy? John Goodman. He's in all those movies. That's the thing. You know? Everybody loves Goodman, and he's it's because he constantly works. I mean, this movie is one yeah. of like five or four or five that he did this year. <laughs> he's got like at least two things every year for, gosh, going all the way back to the eighties. <laughs> it's. I mean, he's, he's always a hundred percent. Like movie? that's the thing too. Was his first movie that that John, wasn't that no because he's in Revenge of the Nerds right yeah Revenge remember? of the Nerds yeah that's his first like mate like big, he's in Chud um, true his true stories his first like lead role the David Byrne movie uh, it's a Face of Rage hmm. uh, TV movie in '83 it is first time I became aware of him was in that Talking Heads video <laughs> oh for for the true stories and yeah I remember he had a uh, a commercial like for some sort of shampoo or something where he's in the shower and they used to who is it like one of the talk show hosts used to give him crap about being like overweight by showing him like this slim john goodman in the shower scene i mean like what happened to you I john goodman carries his weight very very well john goodman is not someone who looks more handsome when he's less overweight it's weird he carries his weight very well. I mean, at the same time, I like seeing skinny John Goodman just because I think, oh, good, he's got, he's being healthy, and I get to not worry about him dying. Yeah, yeah, randomly. I get that. That that's why I'm saying what I'm saying. I'm saying that as a counterpoint. Obviously, we don't want him to die, but I'm just saying he. I can't think of anyone else who carries his weight, and as as well as John Goodman. I don't know what it is. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't think he looks quote unquote undesirable when he's skinny either. Uh, you're always going well, negative. How am I going negative? You're the one saying. Even though, he's like, even though he has that. dropped a lot of weight, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was, I was gonna say, even though he has dropped a lot of weight, he still uses that physicality very well. Like, like yeah. I said, Cloverfield Lane, he's still, I mean, he's still, I mean, he's able to, I mean, without even without the extra poundage, he's able to, you know, be a menacing, large, you know, uh, you know, like force of nature almost. Uh, especially, I mean, look how crazy he gets in uh, in Oh Brother Where Art Thou, like, and how physically imposing he is there. And then compare that to Ten Cloverfield Lane; he's probably fifty or seventy pounds lighter, but he's still able to draw on that. You know, he's and, an imposing and that, that intimidation. He's a, he's, he's just a, big he's, anyway. Probably, he's a, he's right? a good actor who can be imposing. That's that's the point of that thing. I mean, he, right. he's, he's also not short. I mean, that's another thing too. But, um... <laughs> I was trying to pay him a compliment. It somehow became a thing where I'm being. I'm not, of course, I'm glad he's not huge at the moment but i'm just i was just I'm, i've always been surprised by that phenomenon that he how dare you not care about john goodman's health <laughs> i do i love john goodman my god um, it's interesting thing. why is he like why is why is good why is walter hanging out with dude like and but then of course you know uh i guess that was but that might have been what it was like for with milius and that bunch maybe sort of he was the only one who was well, to yeah. the right wing gun, I mean, gun crate. I mean, I could look at the personalities of 
for example, like Scorsese, Spielberg, and De Palma and De Lucas, and I feel like that's a wildly different bunch of people. But yet, I can bunch of Donnies, I think probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I think Lucas versus De Palma, I think there's those yeah. are strikingly different personalities to me. If I if I look at those two guys, but they all tend to be pretty liberal guys, I think. And, and fair fair least. enough, yes. But but at least in personality wise, I mean, you could compare someone like De Palma closer to being someone like Milius versus someone like like Lucas. What's funny is that the good the Goodman character is not they they should pick him up later from like he like runs like a, a army surplus store or something he's not a successful guy or anything. I mean, I wouldn't right. offhand think he is a successful guy either. Well, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're I, right. I, I don't look at a guy that hangs out with the dude in a bowling alley as a guy that probably has plenty of riches elsewhere that he can be handling right now. Don, Donnie, on the other hand, alley, Donnie is, I'm he's sure, is a secret millionaire. <laughs> like, <laughs> <He's got laughs> I mean, they talk about him being a surfer. He's probably some kind of ex-pro surfer that lives in a mansion but just really likes bowling. Because Steve Buscemi is a brilliant enigma in this movie compared to every other role that he ever does. Hey, what well, do you guys think about the Western look, movie? He looks so young in this movie. movie. Well, because he's like clean shaven and not like manic, so it's like, yeah, yeah he by default looks like, you know, a clean cut, good health guy. <laughs> Speaking of caterpillars, Sam Elliott. The western stuff is weird. What do you guys think of the western? Is that that's the kind of thing that sort of feels like half thought out a little bit. Like, why is this character in the movie? I get that they're out west, but and I'm glad he is. But what's the point of? Because he's from a dude ranch. Maybe. Dude and dude, <laughs> I guess. I think. I mean, the best, the best, like offhand, I can say is like you know what a co- what the codes would probably say is why not? Like that's the kind of I think the the extent of the thinking that goes with. Th- is this the only time they work with Sam Elliott? I think so. I think so. I can't uh, think yeah. of any yeah. other. I think so. He fits. Well, I mean, he fits right if in. They'd, <laughs> if they'd worked with him before, it'd be like, oh, let's get Sam in here, and I could I could make an understanding of that. But this is it. Well, the but then there's a way of trying to make this stupid story more epic than it than it is. Another layer to that's a complication. Good point. That's it. That's probably it. I think I think the like narration fits uh, as well, just because of the you know I mean the whole neo neo noir thing. And I don't think it would have worked as well if the dude had been the narr- if it had been a first person narrator. I mean, basically, uh, that might be what again, where it's coming from. I think it's, it's also it's I, also an acknowledgement of the like some of the things going on here like the swearing because because this movie's like what one of the most uh highest count of efforts oh, yeah. but they're like they use more efforts than scarface and people are like shocked by it, but like, the mo- movie is literally acknowledging it within the movie and that years later we still get articles like can you believe how many f-bombs were it no they it's intentional i, I think they're doing so, it on purpose yeah speaking to sam elliott i think they are his the purpose of him i mean I think yeah, the Western aspect is a thing. I mean yeah, being out west or whatever. But I think it just like it, it's a way of uh, discussing the kind of the mythic nature of a character like the dude and how he factors mm-hmm. into the rest of the world. I think by having someone with the kind of voice of Elliot, at, regardless of the theme, it just kind of it helps it helps you know perpetuate that quality of who we're supposed to believe the dude to be. I mean, Jeff but Bridges. it's ironic because he's not. He's just the every guy. Yeah, it's ironic. Because, and, yes, and that's perfectly in line with you know how Cohen brothers make their films. But I can see that as like mm-hmm. the logic of why you just and then you just filter it through a Cohen quirk angle, and yeah. there you go. 
Well, I love the I love their inter- little interaction they have at the end of the film. Just the way Bridges treats him, like, yeah, I knew you. I, I, I saw you here one time. He's just kind of like super cool to him. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. like maybe like how a dude normally is. Exactly. Or that he, that too, it affirms yeah. that he's back to where he was. And it's like, I mean, he's supposed to be like basically an all-seeing eye of this universe. It's like that. I can, I that makes this that kind of character makes sense for this movie. I'm trying to like mm-hmm. when you have um, what's his name. In a, in a Hudsucker Proxy, the janitor. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, Cobbs, uh, Bill Cobbs. Um, he's like, you know, the godlike figure in that movie. You all, you get, that pops up a number of times in their different movies. And you, it all generally kind sure, of fits regardless point. of like what, regardless of like who it really is. It seems like the choices they make for each of those different movies that have that kind of figure, they all seem to fit within that universe. It just seems just right, weird or not. It's strange to do noir, to do the sort of detective proto-neo-noir thing and the Western thing at the same time. I guess they both are very L.A. And yeah. I guess that's sort of the mix of the two kind of suggests the sort of hazy sense of yeah. what's going on. You know? <laughs> like, Autobahn! Yeah, Autobahn. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I won't be surprised, by the way, if Sam Elliott ever pops up again in a Coen Brothers film. He seems like he's just right there. But I do like, that yeah. brings me to what I like of seeing the Coen Brothers kind of company of players that keep kind of factoring in and out of their films. And mm-hmm. so you get like, yeah, like you know, obviously Bridges is in a couple. Uh, Peter Storm, Pete Stormare is in this film as, as um, right. coming mm-hmm. coming off of you know being the vicious Swedish guy in Fargo. Well, <laughs> I like how everybody from Fargo, like a lot of them and come the back, world, but they okay. go to the background. And of. the Lost World, yeah, you're right, yeah, 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 yeah. Although the Fargo cast is like here, but not <laughs> like that's all right. what's happening. Well, it's like it's almost Thulis, like with the... we're, looking, we're looking at Thulis, yeah. who's ridiculous here. He's in that latest season of the Fargo TV series, and he's yeah. fucking vicious in that show. Oh, it's like, it's, it's, it's amazing. so weird and scary. Uh huh. It, it's gross. We yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. You guys ever seen Naked, the Mike Lee movie? Yeah. yeah he's yeah. that's a great movie. He's mm-hmm. great in that movie. Yeah. The, uh, the I grew up knowing David Thulis from two things: Naked and The Island of Doctor Moreau. <laughs> That's how, yeah, that's, how I knew, yeah. that's how I that's how I that's how I that's how I knew who David Thewlis was. Like, oh, it's that guy from Naked in the Dallas of Doctor Thoreau. <laughs> that's fair enough. That's true. Is I he supposed to look like video. a like a John Waters type person oh, in that sure. scene? Or yeah, yeah, uh, that's, for, yeah, easily. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, John Waters. I love how the, the dude doesn't have just credence tapes. Just like Sounds of the Sea, a bowling oh. lane, yeah. And it taps perfectly into like who Jeff Bridges is, where it's like a lot of meditation, a lot of a lot, of, a lot of uh a, a lot of like Thoreau thinking, <laughs> a lot of wall moments. <laughs> just, just kind of... Have you guys heard those sleep tapes he did? Has anybody heard have you guys heard those recently? No. Uh-uh. He put it on heard of them. Jeff Bridges sleep tapes where it's just him basically narrating you to fall asleep. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. really it's really effective and wonderful. It's just Jeff Bridges telling you this rambling story about Oh, you're walking down by the river, and oh, hey, look, there's some golden doubloons in the river, but no time for that now. We're trying to get some sleep, and it's just like it works <sighs> completely well. It's... This uh, looking at anyway. this is this is kind of like an ultimate Cohen movie as far as like what they've been doing up to now and where this one comes out because you have like so many references to their other movies as far as the casting the fact that you have the Beatle right behind the dude which is right out of Blood Simple and then who's in the Beatle mm-hmm. it's John Polito another Cohen yeah. staple right. <laughs> it's just a lot of right. what what answer John. 
Yancy? No. What is it, Yancy? Me. Uh, my favorite part of the commentary so far. Yancy, what were you saying? Breaking <laughs> up. Okay. Well, that's like your opinion, man. <laughs> I'm gonna call Yancy back. Hold on, as we do this live commentary track. Yes. You know, he's I like going that I, part. I like the use of a uh, cutting to show the to the to the music to show the um, to show the 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 test that he finds on the in the secret mm-hmm. car. Right. Just the way Louisiana purchase. <laughs> and I love this follow through now on the um, yes <laughs> the, the landlord thing show. that he's doing. <laughs> What's he called? Like his process or whatever. Mm-hmm. I like that Donnie went to this. They all went. Like, the <laughs> dude's like, hey, come to my landlord's. Yeah. Maybe it's because if he's got his friends with him, he doesn't think that guy's going to approach him about rent after the show. That might be the logic to go with. I heard in an early uh, draft of the film uh, that Lebowski was supposed to have been the inheritor of money from the inventor of the Rubik's Cube. Mm. But they uh, subsequently wrote that out. I mean, the movie's packed to the gills as it is with all things. To yeah, do. I know. You need more details? I don't think so. <laughs> Arthur Digby Sellers, I love you. I just, I just love all these little LA things, you know, like the the tiny theater with the experimental uh, acting and the 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 conceptual artist, and you know, just all these. I love it. I mean, it's great. It's just very, very. It couldn't be more of an LA movie if it tried, really. Yeah. I think, I, I think I'm back. Am I back? back? Yeah, you're back. Uh, yeah, you're back. What, what were you saying about right, John Polito? It's totally worthless. Just wondering if this was the last movie that they did with him. Oh no, no, man, man, it wasn't there. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. with the two pictures, yeah. the wig, and he yeah, hits, right. right. you know, he he puts a pass at Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah. That's a great. Scene. It's a great, scene. A great <laughs> scene. It's a great because just the it's such a subtle scene. I remember seeing it the first time, and I was granted I was younger, so I didn't really quite get what he was doing. But he just does this thing with his eyes, and then Billy Bob Thornton, like in the most professional way possible, says like, "Was that a pass?" <laughs> just like <laughs> choose him out for Was it. that a pass? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then like the next thing we know, he's dead because spoilers: James Gandolfini gets his hands on him. <laughs> like, this man who wasn't there, maybe the most quiet of like when talking about Coen Brothers movies that doesn't really it's great, but sort of gets maybe overlooked. I think so, but only because the the chatter for Lady Killers and Intolerable Cruelty is always so enraged with negativity. So it's like yeah, they don't they they don't, may not get talked about, but when they do, you hear it. And it was a small <laughs> release too, I think. Oh, for right? sure. So yeah, it's like yeah. it's it's among their small. I think it might be there. I mean, but hey, it's got Francis McDormand, Billy Bob Thornton, Scarlett Johansson, James Gandolfini. That, that, this is, that's, the kind, that's the kind of movie where at an early age I'm like, I know I love movies because this right, movie yeah. is completely ringing true to me. And like seeing, seeing this black and white neo-noir with this cast in the kind of way that they're utilizing them. Like it's such a, a great little movie, but like it's not commercial whatsoever at that point in time. No, no. Yeah, that I was, was going to say that totally right changed. Now, right? yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's the one yeah. after Oh Brother. Directly after. Yeah. That may be my least favorite of their movies, actually, amazingly enough. Man, who, oh, under Intolerable Cruelty and the Lady Killers? 
Yeah, oh, I, I loved it when it came out. The last, I, last time I did a survey of all their movies, I thought that I thought Mena wasn't there was the least. I don't know why it was. Just oh, felt very mm-hmm. I, I treated the oh. Blu-ray release that finally happened like it was a fucking Star Wars movie that came out. I was so excited. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hope I'm wrong. I'm, I have to see it again at some point. But something, one of them yeah, got to be my least favorite. They all were all good. None of them are not good to me, at least. It's one of my favorites for sure. I mean, probably my top ten. Where is my rank? I have my letterboxed Cohen Brothers list somewhere, <laughs> which is ever evolving, but still. <laughs> Could you get a more like disaffected kid to play Arthur right. Digby? <laughs> it's such a. Oh, the, ev- the evidence bags are what makes it for me. Oh like, my god! Yeah, I like Bridges, Bridges attempts to intimidate or what do for me? Those faces he's making, trying to be yeah, scary yeah. when Bridges is trying to back it. And this is the, the kid, like, this is the most calm that Goodman is in this movie when he's trying to do yeah. this stuff when he's trying to act professional. <laughs> yeah, he's in a suit <laughs> and it just goes all up in his face. Like it just does not, and so he immediately turns into a giant rage ball monster. <laughs> well, I love how he goes up to the the uh, Iron Lung and says, "Sir, it's, a, it's an honor to." <laughs> yeah, he's like geeking out over it. He's so excited yeah. to be in this room <laughs> with, the, with, with the, the writer of Branded. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny. He liked Branded. He had no idea before this that Arthur Digby Sellers had anything to do with it. And then he finds out he wrote so many episodes that then he geeks out. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, Walter didn't know the guy who the guy oh, was. Of course, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I love, like, again, so many things come back. In this... Oh, he's raging now. So many things come back yeah. in this movie, but you get to. Um... You get to later on when the dude's like kind of unconscious and he's singing the theme song too, Branded. Like, yes. Like, all these little touches. There we go. That's the Corvette. Look at that outfit. Bridges' Bridget, outfit is so great. <laughs> With the glasses. <laughs> With the glasses. You know, it goes to wonder, you know, the dude was part of this... Back. The dude was part of that like hippie movement, you know, the, the Seattle 7 stuff, but was he really like into it or is that just what he heard and what other people were doing? And that's cause that's kind of how he is. Like all, a lot of, you know, his knowledge in this movie comes off of a, a scene previous with him trying I to think he was probably, reiterate. And, I think that at that time he was probably more invested in the things he was doing compared to. Yeah. I think uh, he's more of a yeah. burnout. I mean, he's basically gave up on that and burned himself out. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the suggestion is that he might've been on the there to have a good time side of things even back then, you know? Yeah. He doesn't really like. He just wants to keep an even keel. It's all he wants as the dude. He just he just wants things to be cool. He doesn't care about anything else. It seems. So the Lou Albano stunt double. <laughs> <laughs> what a perfect character actor they found for this role. <laughs> just like who's the guy that's going to intimidate John Goodman in this movie? <laughs> this guy that's freaking out. Okay, now this is going to be my favorite sight gag in the film, where they talk about they set up the whole in and out thing, and now you're in the car and. <laughs> They're just like sitting there. All kinds of emotions are on us, and they pulls up the burger. That's that's, yeah. that's, that's my favorite. That's a, that got a, that's, I remember that getting a huge reaction. That's such a great reveal. Yeah, <laughs> they got to stop. I the even, Santana song. I even listen to the Santana song. I even I'm even happy to look past the fact that it's not In and Out Burgers by the rappers. I'm just like I, right. still, I, get, I still get the Here's. joke that they're doing. <laughs> right. Yeah, man, it wasn't there's my number eleven according to this scale. Uh, All right, Peter Paris. Some of these are some of these are raising higher as I'm looking at this list offhand. <laughs> it's an embarrassment of riches. They have a wonderful. I, I know. I, I mean, it's, yeah. It's, no, it's, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, who has negligible. that 
really unscathed. I mean, just... Kubrick. I can't think of so many people. Well, I mean, that when, when, uh, when Blood Simple came out on Criterion a couple years ago, I'm like, oh, my God, this movie's so good. Oh, and it's not oh, the first yeah. movie. Like, Fantastic movie. <laughs> by the way, that has, a great, movie. that has a great, like, weird commentary track where it's them and Barry Sonnenfeld. With yeah, a, with yeah. A, with a teleprompt, with, like, a tele telewriter thing you know like when you do it like football or whatever when you draw on the screen mm-hmm. where it's where it's very sonnenfeld basically going over all the terrible choices he made as a cinematographer and how lighting doesn't make sense in that movie it's really clever mm-hmm. <laughs> i love Who's this that? whole thing where he nails this thing down to make sure no one can right. break into his door and it's a fucking pull open door <laughs> well, opens all the way and there's a Mark Pellegrino yep. character actor. He's a he's a very intimidating man in real life. Oh, yeah. I had I had some friends who he coached acting with and he is just he could make a kid cry oh, in like two Lost, seconds. Right? Yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah, among other things. He was from yeah. everyone's favorite episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought he was an amazing choice when they finally showed him. I was like, oh, that guy, interesting. Interesting. He's on Dexter as well. Oh, I like that. Lost is like this this wealth of Deadwood cast members. Like that's what Lost became after a while. <laughs> yeah. And yes, Mark Pellegrino. This is maybe like his schlummiest like performance of like just a right. airheaded guy. Because yeah, he is a fairly intense persona to look at based off like other other choices that i've seen as far as his movies and now the porn guy is back involved speaking of mythic characters this intro for jackie treehorn is ridiculous right <laughs> yeah oh, it's just so huge like, that insane <laughs> look on the guy's face that's holding the the, the, the trampoline uh-huh. it's just disturbing and then like I, in deacons an... this is deacons this is, this is deacons right of course it is uh, just the way yeah. he, he shoots that silhouette of him walking towards the camera and it, it seems like it changes speed very slowly also mm-hmm. like it's just Doug Gazzara, one of my favorite actors of all time i mean 70s uh-huh. saint jack all those great movies i mean perfect casting there as well course yeah this gag gag coming up with the sketch is one of my favorite gags in any movie oh ever. my god yes yep <laughs> it's just it's such a like of course it's so beautifully kind <laughs> so perfect it's just the look yep. it's, i think it's the he's it's trying the, so hard he's like he's really trying to be a detective you know <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it's it's bridges expression that just really sells it too where it's just like his eyes where he's like what, what yeah. am i looking at yeah. Just like, yeah, <laughs> just the reaction mark pellegrino's yeah. in the lost world as tourist oh, number tourist number six, that's what it says. Hmm. <laughs> there was a time, and maybe it's time Spielberg used to just like harvest all the sort of good movies and take all those actors and put <laughs> still them in like, one movie. <laughs> look at the look at the post. Dude, it's, the post it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, like, it's everyone yeah. that wasn't working one weekend showed up for the post. I was telling you someone like yesterday. Who, move on, yeah. Like they, uh, they, what was it? They, um, la- they got mad at me because they called the post a fun movie. I'm like, look at that cast. How are you not having fun at the post? Yeah, who is this? <laughs> you can be important and fun. Like it's not hard. Yeah, there was that. I love year... that couch. The couch that... just kills me every time. It was that year when Lincoln and Argo and Zero Dark Thirty came out. It's like, wow, no one was unemployed in Hollywood for these months. Right. <laughs> yes, Ben, Ben, but Ben Gazzari, yes, is is a great actor in a lot of great movies. John Cassavetes movies, Killing of a Chinese Bookie. That's a oh, yeah, totally. terrific movie, yeah. I'm a huge Cassavetes fan, so... Yeah, I mean, me too, me too. I love Cassavetes. It was awesome to see him in this. I remember so, oh, my God, it's Ben Gazzara. He died, yeah, he died. He died in 2012, I see. He's yeah. in Happiness as well. He's in uh, Todd Salon's Happiness. He's great in there. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Gazzara has a lot of, like, quirky choices in his career. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No, he's a guy that likes working. That's what I'm saying. He's like, it's not a matter of like, I need to be in respectable movies or things like. Which is not to say happiness well, is respect. It's certainly a he, different kind of movie. Well, he was a lot part of, of that. Had you know, very strange '90s. A lot of these actors had a very strange '90s where they'd go back and forth from like 
projects in strange projects look at the amount of hustle the dude puts into this too like he like runs up he's really this is the only moment where he seems to be like okay he's I'm like actively to trying to be a detective yeah and you're like it's so cute it's like, yeah. yeah he's actually trying he's like, i'm a detective you know and this doesn't it just and even like the design of this gag that it's like <laughs> he saw it in some. He saw it in some movie. You know that's why he thinks it's going to be something important. And even the actual image, it's like there's like four dicks. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you would absentmindedly sketch that while you're on the phone. It's amazing. I like that he plays it off too. He just runs back and just like is immediately back in the lounge mode. That's just one of my favorite gags in the movie. This is about as awesome. scene specific as it gets for this commentary track because the scene is pretty fantastic. Yeah. Now he's, yeah. Who drinks more white Russians after this movie, or were you guys big white Russian drinkers beforehand? For like six months, I drank white <laughs> Russians after this. Yeah, for like six months, and then I got nauseated. Because <laughs> like you know, if you've ever had the, the like, he makes one with like with like half and half like powder. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah, runs, no, he runs the gamut on the way. apartment, you know, she has are, the instant uh, creamer, you know. He, he runs the gamut on ways, ways to make it, yeah. Just awful. <laughs> but, but you, know, you talked about that check that's dated on 9-11. It's also a check for, like, what, 69 cents? It's like, yes, like such a funny exactly, little yeah, thing. Like, I was on board with this movie right away when I saw that stuff. Like I'm uh, saying, I uh, love that he's oh. a complete deadbeat. The character's a complete deadbeat. Like, you shouldn't. Oh, boy. You shouldn't like this guy, but you love him, you know, but he's such a deadbeat. Like, he really is. <laughs> Doesn't pay his rent. <laughs> he's just so out of it. I love, at this point yeah, of the movie... Speaking of being out of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> right this, this amazing dream sequence. Oh, uh, yeah, the Kenny Rogers song. I love that at this point in the movie, by the way, like you have these intimidating figures that can cause real harm. They're completely convinced that some, somehow the dude is a a major player in the non-plot that's happening. <laughs> He's taken seriously as somehow being an agent of some... Yeah, it's like, exactly. we, we need to really deal with this situation with this guy here because right. my henchmen Which are idiots, essentially. hysterical idea to have this guy be the, the guy who's trying to find his way through a really thick, this, you know, tangled noir storyline. That's such a brilliant conceptual idea. You know, this guy, this poor guy is trying to figure this out, and he's basically completely checked out of life as it is. Have you ever dreamed a movie credit sequence before? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> this is so brilliant. And look at this location. Look at this, like, endless wall. <laughs> look how big it is compared to him. Like, it's such a unique place to shoot something. God, Deacons is, I mean, we talk about, like, the, the Academy great... Award winner. Yeah, 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 we talk finally. finally. Sorry, we talk about thirteen Academy Award <laughs> loser, one Academy Award winner. Roger Deakins is like being, you know, making these movies that look amazing, like Blade Runner and even various Color Brothers movies. Like, oh brother, there's some great stuff in this movie too. I mean, right, yeah, it's like let's show. Yeah, I love that this, this the dream sequence just represents basically what's on his mind. Yes, most of which is just that he wants to have sex with Julianne Moore. Now, it's obvious that's the big point. of what he's thinking about is Maude Lebowski, you know? And that camel fucker in Iraq. Yeah. That's just sort of part of the buzz he has going on in the background. You know, it doesn't make any sense. You know, he's just... dressed like Carl Hungus. Yeah, he's, he's yeah, saw that porn like... and he's thinking about sex, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's not really thinking about anything that's going on in the plot here in his subconscious. Well, he will eventually when he, when he starts becoming a... When he starts crashing, when he starts becoming a nightmare. <laughs> 
and yeah, this song choice is like, you know, <laughs> talking about perfect music choices to assign mm-hmm. to a scene of a movie. This is brilliant. Yeah, I never heard the song before this movie. Yeah. Always associated with this. I always didn't love even the... know Kenny Rogers had a like a cool phase. I thought Kenny Rogers was just a <laughs> country guy. Here's the I post- like the here's the poster. The, right here. um, oh sorry. Oh yeah. yeah. That would never be used on home video releases ever. <laughs> yeah, really. You know, although the fact about this scene, right, where how they had to shoot this thing. Or like Jeff Bridges is he's too big to like fit between the legs he's going down the mm-hmm. alley, so they had to like it's if they had to like make up an elaborate rig to or like whatever, like two shot to pull all this off. Ah. Yeah, I remember seeing that somewhere too. That's odd. Turns upside down here. <laughs> oh, and beforehand, by the way, speaking of innovation for scenes, um, the first time he gets knocked out, that shot inside the bowling ball is like, like the first time ever everyone's ever put a camera inside a bowling ball. No. I didn't know that. Oh, interesting. <laughs> the end of the stream. <laughs> Threatening to cut his balls off. I don't know if, if you guys are fans, but I think it's interesting that Two of the funniest, the two maybe the two best bowling comedies are. I really like Kingpin, the okay. Farley Brothers Kingpin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kingpin. It's right around oh. the same time as this. It's a strange occurrence. Also a bomb. <laughs> like... Oh, yeah. fun story. Um, the nihilist that isn't Flea, <laughs> yeah, or uh, Carl Hungus. He uh, two weeks before I started when I when I worked in third party quality control out in L.A. He had worked there for a couple of weeks, and everybody's like, Wait, "I know you from somewhere," <laughs> and he wouldn't say. And then they're like, "Well, you're the nihilist." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> That's a good transition shot right there. Oh yeah, and now he's singing the Brandon theme song. <laughs> And it, like now it's becoming Chris Farley show, but like now it's another scene with this with this uh, the sheriff, and the, oh, mono- the sheriff of the, Malibu, yeah. the monologue he <laughs> yeah. gives, and like the yeah. and the dude's like, I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. <laughs> Reaction. To and we're we're witnessing like corruption going on that has nothing to do mm-hmm. with this at all. <laughs> Man, when he says, "I'm sorry, I wasn't listening," that's such a that that's a brilliant line, but it's such a daring thing because you're already. Your audience is already struggling to know, to figure out what's going on. To have your main character go, yeah, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Very discouraging if that's what your bag is, you know. Yeah, like at least at Elliot Gould seemed like following. pretty involved in his story. Like, dude's not even making an effort at this point. <laughs> like, <laughs> there is no sheriff of Malibu, right? Isn't that true? There's no actual sheriff of Malibu, I don't think. No, there's not. <laughs> Just made up for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the way he says jerk off, though. Like <laughs> the way he repeats it over <laughs> and over again. Well, how well do you guys think that Ralph's the Ralph's Club card gag plays outside California? I think people just recognize it, like because I don't have Ralph's the Ralph's equivalent's Kroger. Once you go right, past yeah. a certain point in the middle of the U.S., and yeah. I think you just kind of see it as a grocery card yeah. or something, right? Something unimportant, maybe like a Sam's Club card type thing, or you know, I just love the fact the only two things Costco. he has are a, 
Chuck Cash and right, Carter you know, in a picture yeah, of dicks. Thirty cents off eggs. Yeah. Just instead of them being on sale, you have to have a card, and that would give you the sale price, basically. Right. They're on keychains now, I guess. Yeah. Or, no, the dollar not. ten, but if you have our card, it's a buck. Well, that was, right. Exactly. Was, it's not even like key key card keychains is even that that's almost outdated now. Now it's just you know give your phone number. Phone number, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that, or, that forget, only... or if you forget, they have one to scan at the register yeah. for you. Yeah. Right. And eventually, we'll just give you a new one. <laughs> eventually, it'll just be retinal scans, so it doesn't even matter. Well, well, back in the day when you, you know, would actually write checks for your groceries, I know um, you don't do that anymore, but you would need a card to cash a check. So mm. it kind of ties back to the beginning. He's so mad about this. <laughs> I love this. I love this. I'm with this guy, man. Fuck you. I like the Eagles. Get the fuck out of my camp. Well, I love they do that. Then they do the later on the Hotel California in the Spanish. Yeah. Well, that was before with Jesus. Oh, it was before. That was yeah, before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They, they yeah. set it up. Okay, so they set it up. Yeah. <laughs> they set Which it up by, the, the by having the antagonistic story. character playing the band he doesn't like. Which they had to get the rights for him. I wonder how that works. Interesting. And they throw this, like, this is the one time we don't see the perspective of the dude on the case is when we see Bunny drive by and they show her toe. It's fine. This is another, by the way, yeah. this is the motif they tried for was to have covers of others. Of songs like like you said with the California or that was a cover of Viva Las Vegas I think uh-huh. which is driving like the the song at the end is a Rolling Stones song but it's the Townsman's Ant version like they 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 did that a lot in this movie and he trips over his own yeah. yeah we get we get two weird shows we get we get that one with Tara Reid's foot and how mm-hmm. it's not cut off and we get another one with the girl whose foot actually did get lose the toe like those are the two, yeah. those are the two times we don't see the we don't yeah. scenes of not involving the dude right it's it's toe related. <laughs> That's my robe. <laughs> uh, the speed of sound to her. <laughs> not a real Metallica tour, by the way. Yeah. Oh, really? It's not? I didn't know that. No, it wasn't. Convincing sounding, though. It really is yeah. convincing, yeah. I thought for sure. I was, yeah, because he's like, I was in the music business. <laughs> Roadie for Metallica. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like the one—it's like the one time Mod shows like some interest. It's like, oh yes, and it's like, yeah, it was a roadie. <laughs> yeah, it's like I—I I worked in the entertainment industry. I worked at Blockbuster. That's cool. Because and like focus on, du- but you look at—you look at like Julia Moore, and she's so like, I don't care about any of this. I am so disinterested well, in this person. Well, she would want to have his child. It's so absurd that she would. Well, because she knows he—she knows. She knows he won't be around. Like he, he won't care. That—that's—that's that's their full choice. No, because. <laughs> It's just so odd that anybody would prize this guy's. Uh... Well, that's why she had him go to the doctor and check him out yeah. thorough, thoroughly. It's just so it, I, I know. Oh, yeah. It's really such a schmuck. This is funny. He's just got yeah you know, all this attention he never had. This is you know his life was Donnie and Walter, and his <laughs> landlord. Yeah. Oh, there he goes. Smells the shirt before putting. Yeah. Mostly his own yeah, clothes, I recall, too, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. He also sniffs the half and half before he pulls yep. it. Like everywhere, every like Treehorns plays too. He's every every instance he takes the milk, he makes sure to sniff it first. Right. As if it yeah. would stop him. Well, he's been burned. Clearly, he's been burned before. Yeah, yeah he starts pouring. Sn- then sniffs it. That was it. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, the reveal. His father has no money. <clears throat> he runs stuff. Yeah, that's right. Good spit take. So what's after? Oh, Brother, Where Arthur is after this movie, which is like right. a pretty big blowout success for them, especially for the, the terrible, re- the, not good reviews at the time though. That not, movie, not the best, but it, like the soundtrack was always that like, soundtrack and that winning that Oscar the for the song was it, basically yeah. a Best Picture win for that film. Owen oh, Lieberman gave that an F. Remember that in Entertainment Weekly? Oh, Brother, Where Arthur, that when it came out, he gave it an F. Well, but oh, you know man. it's funny, uh, Deacon's. You know that movie for him, man. He got copied so much following yeah. that one. That that palette look, right? Yeah, oh, I love that. I love that movie front, back, and center. That just oh the, yeah, the way it looks, the story, everything. Just, it's great. I mean, as a person who had to read the Odyssey like three times in in my educational career, that was a nice reward. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I understood that reference. <laughs> I, I like the I like I like the Odyssey. <laughs> I know I do, but I mean, it was like I have to like I've already read the. I'm a big classics fan in general, so it's like yeah, I'm all about this, and so and I didn't realize that going into a brother Arthur, I was just like, oh cool, new Coen Brothers movie, Clooney, sure, what's not, Totoro's back, great, (laughs) but um, it was like, oh, I I see what you're doing with this story here, right? As far as Deacons goes, yeah, he this is not something where he changed the game, like that's where they use digital color correction for the first time, yeah. And yeah, I gave the film a unique look, but yeah, after that, like every cinematographer is like, we can do this. <laughs> like, we can... there's yeah. the beetle. <laughs> and somehow that didn't win him his Oscar. Well, I guess what probably Crouching Tiger, if I had to guess offhand, won the Oscar that year, but still. Yeah, I mean, uh, the one that got me was when he 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 lost the Skyfall for Life of Pi, which was like a complete digital job. Uh, which was just, I don't know, I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. But I guess the, the post-production masterwork, you know, fooled the voters, or they didn't even watch, but who knows. Oh, does that count? Does I, that count as cinematography, maybe? that's I, what? I think the work's there. I was not against that vote, honestly. Beautiful movie. I love the look of Skyfall, I do, but I, I do think Life of Pi is a really great-looking movie. <laughs> Yeah, me too. I, I I understand. It is a great looking movie, but in terms of like the challenge of shooting, I mean, I'm sure there's a challenge in shooting all that green screen, but a lot of the the work was done post production by drawing it. I, I just it have in. a Chris Farley moment here to say how great John Polito is. Oh my god, I, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, he passed now, but like seeing yeah. him in this kind of later stage of his life where he got really skinny is like, oh man, I just I feel I felt bad as like. Things can't be going well for him right now. He just so, looks so different than he used to. One of the one of my favorite lines: "She's not my lady friend. She's my fucking special." Whatever he says, about yeah. it, the distinction yeah. between those two things is great, as if it's a clear distinction: special lady versus lady friend. I get the difference. I mean, he's a grown man for one thing, so he doesn't really want to say girlfriend. <laughs> I, just, I love this. What does special lady mean? He, he's the factor that just has the dude finally give it, like, because the Newtsons, like, who the fuck are the Newtsons? Yeah, what? One, one like, all right, this is. Brother Seamus. An right. Irish monk? What does he say? Brother Seamus. An Irish monk. 
Yeah, that picture's going to make her come home. By the way, did you guys... I, I just realizing this right now, but that him being followed by that VW is an echo of Blood Simple in a major that, way. That's what I said. Oh, I, yeah. you, you were off the call, you were off the call at that point. Yeah, oh, I was saying. How can that be that I just thought of that one? Oh. Amazing. Yeah, I was saying that is it's like a ultimate Coen Brothers type movie where it has a lot of references to their past films just by nature of casting and little visual cues that they go for. Interesting. Amy Cinematography was Crouching yeah. Tiger for that year of 2000, by the way. Okay. That's Good year. Good. Patriot, Caleb Deschanel, Roger Deakins for the for brother, Gladiator, Melina. No song, however. Mm. I know it won Grammys. Didn't win. There's no song nomination. Mm. The Toe. Was, yeah, that album was super popular. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a hit. I remember that was the thing about the Lady Killers too, right? It had like some of the same producers on it, but it had like Nappy Roots was involved. Like they had like it was another like in addition to making a movie where enlisting good talent and it's not like their soundtracks didn't have good talent. I mean, look at Inside Lou and Davis, but like we we're, were listing like real talent to kind of get the feeling of the South going on here. Well they started with this movie with T Bone Burnett. Yeah, and they, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. Like, and he added that I think that's sort of when that the warmth if you thought they were cold before, I think once they started making these soundtrack-based movies, I think that's when the warmth got let in a little bit. Because they have a real, they obviously have real affection for the milieu in this movie, and, and the sort of this is closer to probably their own tastes and their own lives. And and then and then for a while, brother, and for a while, the, the soundtracks were kind of event things. Yeah, Lady Killer does great music, mm-hmm. gospel stuff. It's just amazing performances in that in that movie. Long stretches of gospel performances. <laughs> and then after Lady Killers, they take the the best turn they could where it's almost no music whatsoever. <laughs> it's just, there's nothing going on in the score. Comeback, yeah. right? or, no Country was really their comeback, right? But oh, yeah. The comeback, for... starts, yeah. the comeback starts here. It starts from this point and then not liking our brother Arthur got mixed reviews. These were the first chinks in the armor for them. I think they don't really come back critically no. until. Oh yeah, no country for no no country. Not only like brings them back, but it also like it makes their their films become event releases at this point. Like right. they're still. So some, this is their weird period. This is their right weird here. period. No country, it, you know, besides winning best winning a bunch of stuff. After that, like Burn After Reading is like people can't wait to see this movie. Look at this cast. It's going to be huge. And to be fair, it did a decent amount of money and had a good opening weekend for that kind of movie. It grit again. Yeah. Huge and, and, then, and then it becomes a, then it becomes a real showing of the one for you, one for me type model, because a serious man is not a commercial movie whatsoever. True no. grit oh, is no. a massively commercial movie. Yeah. Inside Lewin Davis, not a commercial movie. Hail Caesar. Right. Look at this cast we have. Like, it's just crazy. You know, it has all of that going for it. What are they doing next? A, a series? Or a They're series? doing an Amazon thing, right? I believe. Are they directing it? Probably. Let me see. I can look it up. I, that's the last I believe. I mean, I'm sure they got another movie they're working on too. But at the same time, if they're, you know, when Clooney decides to like, hey, I can take a break from being a dad for a couple of months and like decides to join it for being another idiot in one of their movies, I'm sure we'll get get on board with that. The ballad, of, like... the ballad of oh. Buster Scruggs, is the thing that they're working mm. on. Yeah. I liked when they uh, did, uh, I like Bridge of Spies, where Spielberg directed, they wrote the script, that that was... Oh, that's the other thing, yeah, they did a lot of, like, writing for a while. Yeah. That's their other... Angela Jolie movie, too. Yeah, yeah, Unbroken, Unbroken, Bridge of Spies, Suburbicon's, like, a draft of a script they threw out back in the 80s, which is terrible, but they didn't have any really involvement with it, so it doesn't matter. Um...
Yeah, no, it's a lot of like there's in the midst of the, the films they're making, they you know they have a, a few things like that. Um, what's the other one? There's another one. Or there's that one with Colin Firth and Cameron Diaz, Gambit, that like barely got seen right. by anybody, and it's supposed to be horrible. But um, I thought they were doing. Aren't they working on the the remake of Scarface? Not that I I they were for a second. That's script wise, maybe. Yeah, they were writing. They were, I knew they had something to do with the script of that. Yeah, but that's that's become like the crow, where <laughs> yeah. it's just it keeps yeah, getting, I guess. It keeps getting announcements and directors, and they keep losing directors and whatnot. And I think he had some writing writing uh, parts in Suburbicon too, right? Yeah, so that's what I, I said. Writing well, they it's a it's a script that they it's a draft of a script they wrote in the eighties, and they threw it away, and then Clooney's like, "Hey, what, oh, what about oh, okay. this?" And um. Yep, it's not good. <laughs> they had some involvement yeah. with uh, Bad Santa too. I think they yeah they yeah that. they had they had a producer credit on 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 Bad Santa and like helped. I think they wrote a draft too. Yeah, they wrote yeah, a draft with um. What's and it, as we mentioned, Crime Wave. Yeah, of course, right. Crime Wave. Well, that's when they're Which they had, the you know, well, yeah, yeah, they lived in the same house. Yeah, what was what was the house? Was Francis McDormand all living in the same house? Hard to believe. And Campbell, yeah, and was Kathy Bates in there too? Holly Hunter. Revolving, yeah, yeah, for them. You hear Francis McDormand talking about being Holly Hunter's roommate at some point, you know, on one of the recent... How's uh, Kathy Bates not in any Coen Brothers movies? That seems like an easy slam dunk right there. True. Like, like saying, saying that out loud made me think, am I forgetting some major role? Like, am I, like that's that's what, that's what I thought when I think Kathy Bates and Coen Brothers. That just seems obvious to me. Normally, people that live together, like, one gets big and maybe a couple will, like, benefit little of it. Not everybody becomes, like, marquee named. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a it's a team of Oscar winners that <laughs> came out of that house. Yeah. And they all still like each other, let alone married each other. Like it's that kind of relationship yeah. that they have. Yeah, what did she Francis McDormand call him at the Oscars? McDormand Cohen or whatever? That was great. <laughs> What's the dude doing? Like he's just painting, painting his, his nails. nails. <laughs> he's painting his nails. I like mm. this guy that that's with him on his team. <laughs> yeah, he's he just feels like coordinated too. <laughs> he just feels so regular, you know. Like, yeah. hey, uh, we didn't cast this part. Hey, you want to come over here and? Yeah, and this has nothing to do with the whole plot, and it's just as important to Jeff Bridges though as the rest of the plot. You can tell. Yeah, I mean, there's no connection at all to the, these, the, the kidnapping. These these like these these um, speed suits that Totoro's wearing. <laughs> Just how yeah. he can gyrate his body to make it courageous, like work. <laughs> courageous, courageous. He's cracking. Who's your favorite mainstay in the Coens of the Coens like career? Goodman. Yeah, I yeah, yeah I'd say so too. Turturro is of course also great, and Buscemi is also great. But it feels like Goodman is like the heart and soul in a lot of ways. I he mean, was great again, and then I mean, inside Lewin Davis, what an odious character he was in that. He's great. I mean, I, I I go McDormand honestly. I mean, I think I think Marge Gunderson's one of the great cinematic characters of all time, and I think her debut in Blood Simple is just tremendous. Well, yeah, those are both great. Those are both great. It's undeniable. Like it, you know, it's 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 draw it's separating by you know not much. <laughs> right. But I do always, I think, I feel like John Goodman's most special work has always been with these guys. And I love John Goodman, so it feels mm -hmm. like he sort of stands out, you know. 
I mean, what's the special work? I mean, I mean, she just won an Oscar for three billboards, which I also think she's tremendous in. Yeah, but I feel like Francis McDormand is good in a lot of good movies. For sure. Famous season. You know, she, you know, I feel like Goodman is rarely in this. I don't know. It's an opinion. Whatever. I'm not, obviously I like Francis McDormand. She's I, I hear, I hear what you're saying. I, yeah. I guess. I guess for an actress like Francis McDormand, she's, you know, she's only given so much. So, but, but she can make so much of the things she's given to do in things outside of the Coen brothers. Right. Who's been in? She? How many? How many of them has she been in? Has he been in more? Goodman. Uh, yeah, Goodman's been in more. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Well, you got Goodman's in a good chunk. They got Blood Simple, Raising Arizona, a bit part in Miller's Crossing. Um, Fargo. Fargo. Man who wasn't there. Man who wasn't there. A bit part in. Um, no, Burn After Reading. She's like the, basically the lead of that movie. Hey, lead role. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. She's a, yeah, she is. She's got a bit in Hail Caesar. Hail Caesar. So that's seven. She might be in all. Like, well, Goodman, Goodman, what he comes in, Raising, Raising Arizona, Arizona, Barton Fink, Fink Lebowski, Lebowski, Oh Brother. Uh, he's in Llewellyn Davis. I know that. Um, Is that it? Boy. No, no I think McDormand has it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, the wife versus their friend. I mean, <laughs> it makes a little bit of sense, I guess. We haven't talked about Flea much. He doesn't really do much, but, you know, Flea's around. So yeah. like, that's fun. Yeah, <laughs> he's there. <laughs> How many... We haven't done a point break commentary. It seems like we could have. We've done... Or The Chase. Or The, or the Chase. I'm trying to think. How many Flea movies have uh, we done in this podcast? <laughs> we haven't done Back to the Future 2 or 3. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I almost want to call him, like, Los Angeles is Flea, you know, rather than Red Hot Chili Peppers, but... I, I call, I, when I go to LA, I call it Anthony Kiedis' LA. So. There you go. <laughs> hey, he was a baby driver. He was a baby driver, yeah. Oh, yeah. Flea, I love the Flea dude. dude thinks Donnie shot there. He goes, Who, You get shot? When there's like no gun. Yeah, he does. He <laughs> did. He was in the uh, um, uh, uh, Pixar movie. He was in Inside Out. Yeah. I didn't realize he's been in so many movies. He's got quite a. Quite a solid filmography. The wild Rugrats go wild. <laughs> yeah, he's doing pretty good. And the Psycho remake. He's got all, you know. Fear, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. That just makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the four season, man. I like how, how unnecessarily sad this movie needs to get now. It's like we've lost, right. we've lost Steve Buscemi. He's dead. Everyone's of the things to mourn in this movie. It's the fact that their friend died randomly in the midst of all this chaos. And now, the dude's got a bowling shirt. Who would you want to see again in a Coen for this movie? That's been like a one-off. A one. My pick is Gabriel Byrne. Maybe I was going to say Gabriel Woody, Woody, Byrne, Har- yeah. Woody Harrelson, maybe. I really like uh, I really like yeah, Doors Crossing. It's kind of like undersung. Yeah, Doors Crossing is so that's that's Albert high. Finney is Albert Finney is so great. Was he ever in another Coen Brothers? He's great in Miller's Crossing. It seems yeah, like he should have yeah, been. He is. He is. I mean, that whole. I mean, again, we're talking about Danny uh, Boy. Yeah. Other great Coen, oh, and other great Coen Brothers movies, but yeah, Miller's Crossing is a a fountain of great cast members as well. But no, I think Gabriel Byrne is so like. I mean, he's doing a lot of what Jeff Bridges is doing. He's so, like, aloof to what's going on around him, yet also, mm-hmm. yet he's just also... He's he's a mix of the, kind of, the Philip Marlowe and, like, what, um... Fucking, um... 
you know, Jimbo, um, what's his name? <laughs> sure, my mm-hmm. Yeah. And what he's doing while drunk. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, he's in control the entire he's time in those crossing. He's, I, in, he's in control and drunk at the same time. He's a functional alcoholic. That's what he is. I mean, he's, 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 he's pulling the strings but yeah, he knows the what he's whole doing. time. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's, this weird, it's this weird separation where it's like, the, I can see a relationship between or a relation between him and the dude, yet the dude is like oblivious and Byrne is completely in control. And yet they both right. have this kind of way of acting where they're proceeding between the lines of all these different things and somehow making it work for themselves. Right. Well, Julianne Moore, this is the only one she was in with the Coens. I wouldn't miss her work out with them again. Yeah, and that's another one that seems like, it seems obvious that she should have been like a back for more Coen Brothers stuff. I like it in the only somber moment of this. It just gets so undercut by the, you know, when they let the ashes go. It's perfect mm-hmm. tonally for this movie. It is. Brandon, you mentioned Woody Harrelson in No Country. That's a great pick also. And I mean, mm-hmm. Woody Harrelson, like, he just adds to anything he's in. So it's like, that's, it's hard to not say that for any movie. Yeah. But especially the tone of No Country and how that works and how, like, Woody Harrelson steps in and he's so confident, but with the second Shigura steps in and just the way his whole disposition changes, it's pretty magnificent. <laughs> the speech he's given. I know, it's great. It's They've fun. really taken the job like rolling now, haven't they? Yep, they they're on the Josh Rowland train. That's pretty. Yeah, he, he seems to. Walter cuts his hair with a protractor. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because it's such a cliche to throw someone's ashes into the ocean. Yet this is what happens every time you would try. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody plays comic exasperation better than Jeff Bridges. <laughs> like in this, yeah. <laughs> again, all he's whiny and he's just great. I like the slight dusting he does to the dude in this. Where he's gonna turn around, he's like, "Oh, I got you a little bit." And he tries, to, and the yeah, dude freaks yeah, out at him. Right, <laughs> for right. once, Walter is down and muted. Yeah. That said, the kind of. The, the breakdown between the two is so, or at least the dude, I mean, they're both breaking down, but the dude especially, just the, it's so, it's it's very touching. You're, you're right. Like, it is, it is a, it's a well-played moment in a film full of ridiculousness. Yeah. Where it's like something that seems so unnecessary to happen and watching two friends bond over that fact. After and he's just sort of saying, come on, Walter, will you just, like, he's just getting so mad with him just being himself for a moment, you know? And that's where you see, I mean, look at it, good, and it's a wide shot, but looking at Goodman, it's like suddenly you see him as small. Like, he yeah. seems so big throughout the movie, but just that kind of connection they have. Those right legs and the socks, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just, yeah, you see, he suddenly seems small. It got way windier that <laughs> moment, too. Like, it was pretty yeah. calm. Talk about no arc. I mean, nothing has changed since <laughs> yes. It's wonderful. <laughs> nothing. That's kind of the point. Nothing. He lost a friend. That's all that happened, really. We barely touched upon the cult of Lebowski, which I don't really need to. I think we generally know the kind of it, it's at that. It has that kind of fight club level of like appeal for a lot of people in some ways, which is like, all right, that's fine if you want to like it that way. But regardless, I know there's we've ta- we kind of briefly touched on this, and then we even talked about the spinoff a little bit. But there is the. Uh, the notion of a sequel that only Tara Reid seems to talk about every now and then, 
Um, <laughs> would, would you? Would you? Would any of you entertain the idea of a little Lebowski if the Coens were like, you know what, fuck it, let's do it? Um, you know, as I'm gonna just probably because I was so against Blade Runner 2049's existence, and then only to eat my words. So, um, yeah. you know, I guess from from here on out, I have to be like, well. Or they have the right people involved? Okay. It just seems like a strange movie to make a sequel to. It seems like it's sort of sequel proof almost. I agree. Like nothing changes. Uh, nothing um, changed. What would, what, would, what would another story be of this? It's the same the thing. The same jokes. It's still, it's like, yeah. I think, I think a sequel would be as pointless as the lives of the characters in it. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Well, that's that's mm-hmm. kind of why I wonder, well, maybe that would be the point that they, maybe that's the point of inspiration for them. The idea of the, such a pointless idea that leads them to making an even more pointless sequel that's very aware of itself. But then again, the last thing I think we need is a self-aware Coen Brothers movie because that's kind of their, you know, their kick to begin with to some degree. Right. Too many layers. Kind of my issue a... Fargo, the show. It's a little. It's a little bit like if they were to become self-aware. I think Fargo's pretty brilliant, though, Rod. Yeah. For how they've handled it, I'm. I was. I'm very. Yeah. I. I wouldn't say that. Yes, I didn't have like one eye raised, but at the same time, the delivery on each of these seasons, I've been pretty stunned with how well Noah Hawley's. Especially, especially. I mean, the first season I think is the. It has the most clear connections it's trying to make and being clever but after that like it stops being cute about it it just doesn't i think it does a good job of writing the line of what the style is but being its own and it thing. doesn't it doesn't limit itself to like fargo either it goes through like other coen brothers oh yeah thanks so. yeah yeah i know it's just, it's just i don't know it feels definitely like beat it doesn't feel like legit it feels like i only saw the first season i, I did i didn't like it so i you know i think the, the, like the the what's his name the the, the lead the lead in the first season so he plays Fre- the sort Martin Freeman yeah Martin Freeman from the hobbit yeah, like oh. he's so on un- he's so unlikable in that first season even though William H Macy is also a scumbag he's somehow sympathetic there's a, it's a it's a, it's a line oh, fuck that they... me. there we go William H Macy should be back in a Coen Brothers movie that's what I, that's, that's my oh, new answer go. never mind yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to talk about brilliant think, performances oh my god I think the idea of like a thematic sequel or a thematic spinoff is, is really interesting though and I think that's what drew me to Fargo is like you know it's not obviously it's not a continuation of that story but thematically and stylistically it is you know so. I'd also say Rianzi if you didn't like the first season, I know a lot of people that also were somewhat mixed on the first season, they love the second season, so maybe the second mm. season will be more your thing. Mm. I'll check it out. I mean, they're not bad shows. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, not bad. Speaking of, and to get back to the sequel points, um, I think it's more, and it's a kind of thing I know Yancey hates already, I think it's more because Sam Elliott says the line, Little Lebowski, so it just, like, it, it, it like, raises the, the, you know, it's like a, um, it's like idea question mark uh, exclamation point on the top of a lot of people's heads. Like, well, he said Little Lebowski, so that has to mean there's a sequel, right? That's a hint, isn't it? Like, that's the kind of the thing. end. That's, that's, the, that's the world that we live in now. Now that, with all that right. being said, the only movie that the Coen's actually like considered making a sequel to is Barton Fink. Uh, that's the that's I hope they do that. Old Fink is what they've been proposing for years. As like, if we wanted to revisit any of our properties, that'd be the one to do. I think because it's the most, it's the least commercial sounding possible movie they could make. Oh, for sure. Nobody even likes <laughs> But it's, oh, a, I mean, I could, I mean, Totoro's grown up considerably too. I could easily see them revisiting that character and having that guy who's already stuck in his own kind of Kafka-esque situation being brought back for another while. He's still sitting on that beach. That's where he has to stay on that beach, sitting on that beach with uh-huh. that box. Mm-hmm. We've done a good job talking about all of this movie, by the way. It's been two hours almost. Yep. 
I feel like we could do like three commentaries and they all have different stuff. Yeah, there's so much to talk about and unpack in this movie. You know, it's very easy to do commentary. Yeah, it's very, very dense. I didn't think we couldn't pull it off. I just wanted to encourage you guys by doubting us out loud. <laughs> that was fun. That was a good one. Um, any other thoughts we can get to while we're wrapping up on the on the credits here? Give Lady Killers another try, everybody. I think it's a really funny movie. I'll, one day I'll watch it again. I do have Internal Cruelty day. like on a digital copy of it, thanks to like Universal's offers or whatever to give me more stuff. And Lady... Consider the idea that Bridges is playing King Kong, that character. Is Lady Killers on Blu-ray? No, that's no, another reason nope. it's not. That's the, it's only not the only one. It's the only, only one. Because Inglorious is. Mm-hmm. Or, sorry, Inglorious. Intolerable is. <laughs> yeah. That's their only Disney movie, right? Lady Killers? No, uh, uh, Oh Brother. Oh, yeah. And even, I mean, No Country's Miramax. I mean. True, true. Maybe they should try to give uh, uh, Tom Hanks another chance in a uh, Coen Brothers movie. Since, you know. Well, it was Bridges Spice count. I mean, it was a, they wrote <laughs> well, it. Kind, kind of, I guess. Well, they had to write for him, I guess, right? Technically. Because uh, I, mean, I assumed at that point they probably had Hanks. They are banking on Hanks for the lead for that movie. But yeah, um, man, this movie. Uh this see this will just make me want to watch like a and I have so many other things I need to watch already. But I'm like I want to just go down a col a Cohen hole right now and just right. put on Miller's Crossing right now after talking about it. Yeah, I know I'm we looking at my VHS copy of it on the shelf. <laughs> I always appreciate the guys like the Coens or, or Kubrick who where you can you know you can return to their movies over and over and you know it's made with enough care that there'll be another layer of things you never noticed before. It's a very it's it's a comforting thing you know you can always go into a Cohen period. Never let you down. Yeah, yeah, very much so. It's true. Uh, we talk about this being a flop, by the way. The Big Lebowski. Um, I like doing this. I like going over the why. It, it made a uh, seventeen total here, forty-six worldwide. It opened at number six at the box office, behind. Uh, let's see. Titanic was still number one that weekend, seventeen million in its what the hell was it? Twelfth week of release. <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> um, U.S. Marshals was the debut this this weekend as well with 16 million. Wedding Singer is still there. Twilight with Paul Newman. Um, That's a good uh, movie. Twilight. Gene, Gene oh, Hackman yeah. and uh, like a younger Reese Witherspoon. Good movie. Good movie. No one ever talks about that movie. Um, let's see. Hush, which I did see in theaters with my mom. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and Jessica Jessica Lange. Speaking of uh, of um, King, King Kong. Kong um, what else? And then Lebowski. Yeah. Um, yeah, just kind of, just kind of came and went for for uh, the latest Cohen films in a wide release too, not even like a platform or anything. You know, thousand over a thousand screens at that time. But uh, all right, well, Big Lebowski, guys, it is a uh, good film movie, that's for sure. Um, and with all that said, let's uh, let's wrap things up here. Where can people find everyone's work online? Let's start with Brandon Peters. Uh, cult Cinema Cavalcade, cultcinemacavalcade.com. Uh, we have an episode called Mazes and Monsters out uh, right now that's very informative about the satanic panic of the 80s and uh, that one Tom Hanks' Hanks' first roles. TV movie that's uh, anti-Dungeons Dragons propaganda, as well as we just uh, started a YouTube page, which we are doing 
uh, riffs. So if you like MST3K and Riff Track Live, check out our amateur version. And uh, as always, whysoblue.com. You can catch me weekly on the DC TV podcast on HSWLOD.com and the Walking Dead TV podcast, which I do with Aaron. Uh, also on the Taylor Network podcast, you can catch me on Nothing's On, our general TV and movie uh, podcast, and uh, Heavy Gigs in Seaside City, our radio play that we do over there as well. So that's the, uh, the Taylor Network podcast.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at Yoda Jones. Yancey Burns. You can yeah, read read me at the Milky Way Blues, which is my blog, uh, and uh, you know catch me back on here when you invite me next time. All right. You can find me over at thecodezeke.com. All my, all my stuff gets filtered through over there. You can find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Uh, you can find the other episodes of this podcast on Audioboom and iTunes. Everywhere else you can find podcasts, pretty much. You can find our Facebook and Twitter pages. You, you know all this. This is all good stuff. You can follow along with all those. Um, this has been fun, guys. Thank you all for joining me tonight to discuss the Big Lebowski. Hey, thanks for having us discuss Big Lebowski. Yeah, Good no doubt. Thank you. Uh, thanks, guys. That was fun. I, I suppose I should reveal now that next month's commentary track will, in fact, be Lost in Space, the wow. big-budget remake of the 60s TV series that was the film to dethrone Titanic from the top of the box office after... Really? After, geez, what is this? After 15 weeks at number one. Um, so, yeah, that is going to be the commentary for next month. I know Brandon is quite excited. I Like my parents, you've chosen Lost in Space over Mercury Rising. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just rewatched the film not too long ago, and it is still a movie that's not that good. But we will be talking about it because it is quite fun to talk about. So, yeah. I thought sure you were going to go with sliding doors. But... <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the plan for next month. But yeah, until then, until we get to that commentary, and until next time, so long and goodbye. Por el camino del desierto, el viento me despeina, su aroma de colita, no nada, nada de labios. Ella de lo lejos, una luz entera, la idea de mezcal, de mí por en la noche, ella estaba a la entrada y la campana de sonar, y me dijo ya mi mismo, esto puedo del cielo. Ella se me una vela y nuestra de camino. Soy voz al corriador y yo te di que diciendo. Cuenta tu hijo del California. Such a lovely place. Such a lovely place. 